intervening at all on. I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not fucking joking anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. You know, you know, might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot, but fuck, they, they don't do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood, blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers! Welcome, 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 everyone. Another stream, another day, and uh, an easy day for Doc Kev. It's uh, how Kev gets to chat with a good friend of the channel. That's right, Spartacus is joining us, and uh, well, no doubt we'll be getting deep into the, uh, well, what should we call it? The, <laughs> the tech dystopia that they want to unleash, or they are unleashing upon us, and we'll. I think it, we don't really have that much planned. A couple of papers we're paying back and forth, but um, yeah, it's just uh, just going to be an easy conversation. I'll be looking for uh, questions in the chat if you have them for uh, for Sparkus or myself. Uh, just let's get on with the show. So uh, I'll just quickly do the housekeeping, and then we'll make that call. Just bear with me. Uh, let's hope the monkey is away. Yes, remember, your government loves you, and that's why you need big armor-piercing uh, boys' toys. God bless the United States of America. If you've wandered in here wondering who I am, that's me. My name's Dr. Kevin McCann. I was principal investigator at the Career Brain Research Institute. I now uh, am part of <laughs> the fin, the razor-fin line between you and the wet dream of Klaus Schwab. Yep, that's right. And uh, in order to navigate the technocracy, you've got to 
get up to speed with the science and uh, nobody does that better than uh, my good friend Spartacus. Uh, what you should do, of course, is bookmark uh, McCann Dojo. There you go. There's the link. And on that link, this is this is our headquarters, folks. This is the last readout on the in the digital trenches and from there uh, you can um, find where to find me and how to support this stream because that's right this stream is science for the public by the public you can become a patreon uh, if you like uh, i don't mind that but uh, i don't remember they take a big chunk of that wtyl.live tip jar this one here in the middle um click that if you want to send a dono to the doc keep the uh keep the stream machine rolling and uh of course a new payment processor stream fags and gaypal if you own a gaypal account you can send a dono that way that way i can afford a new uh a new thingamabob whatever this thing is for my microphone it's broken um and from there where do we go oh yes i should remind everyone that we have our own streaming platform you can watch the replays on there if i took them down i took the one down with uh ryan uh from youtube um but you can watch on uh, wtyl.live and uh, you can watch a whole bunch of other folks as well uh, whose tonic is uploading his stuff there. And uh, just a reminder, if you are a streamer, you can just join and uh, begin streaming. Put that hardware to the test. Try to break it. Um, it's called a microphone stand. <laughs> this is the stand. I don't know what that cage um, thing is. I, I guess it's for like sort of shock absorption um but it costs 60 bucks they can fuck right off and uh yeah that's that's the housekeeping done with so let me do this let me find uh sparkus in the discord and let me do this Let's see if he picks up it is a ringing hey, hey how's, how's it going? going hey dude how are you pretty, pretty good, good. All right, man. Uh, I don't know if you were paying attention to the intro at all, but um, I said, I said we don't have a huge. I've I've just labelled this stream COVID slash technocracy. I just thought we'd use this as a, a sort of catch up to where we are at the moment. And uh, I don't know if you had uh, other things to to bring up, but may, maybe a good place to start is. Um, what we were discussing this morning, which um, I've I've received a six day ban on Twitter for another twenty four hours. Damn. But um, but it, because it's it's a, it's a interesting and and very germane topic at the moment, and maybe I'll let you describe the argument that you got into first uh, with that. What did you call him, Bozo? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, the thing, thing is, is that um, we know for a fact that SARS-CoV-2 spike is amyloidogenic. Um, and a lot of um, people on the pro-vaccine side um, seem to believe that the 2P spike construct that the nucleic acids in these vaccines um, code for uh, is, is safe without evidence. 
um, basically, oh, excuse me, uh, one no, second there. No worries, no worries. Um, yeah, I have uh, little alerts going off all the time. I do, <laughs> I do apologize. But um, there we go. Y- yes. So, uh, so. You, you were just getting to the um, the uh, the vax fascists basically are, yes. are, are sold on the fact that because they put the two proline um, stabilization bridge in there, that everything's tickety boo. We've got no worries yes. now. Um, the thing is, is that um, if people actually go over papers um, for for a two P spike, even ones dating back, because this is a lab construct they've actually used for a very long time, or several years anyway, um, uh, with other uh, SARS coronavirus spikes, and um, what it does is it is it locks the uh, the spike in the prefusion conformation. And basically, it keeps it keeps it from activating, and you know the the uh, um, the spike S two uh, domain, you know, unfurling like it does when it's at, like it's in the post fusion state, you know. Um, so basically, we can think of the two proline uh, substitution as as making the the spike protein more rigid, have locking it in in place, right? But at the same time, we have to consider that these amyloidogenic peptide fragments are effectively these, these short little sequences along the length of the spike protein. Yes. Um, and they are exposed when the spike protein is digested proteolytically by the body's own enzymes. So, and, and I've, I've gotten to this argument multiple times with people where... Um, I'll raise the question of whether or not proteolytic degradation of the spike exposes dangerous motifs. And what they come back with every single time, especially, I mean, the pro-vax side anyway, what they come back with is, um, it has the two prolines, it's safe. And they don't actually explain, you know, why that would be the case. Effectively, what they're asserting without evidence is that the two proline spike uh, lab construct, the, this mutant spike, is immune to, di- to digestion by human proteases. Yeah, is, it's, it's an asinine position. And it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. It's, they, they, apparently they expect that once it's generated in the body, it persists indefinitely. <laughs> yeah, just, just, stuck, just stuck there waiting for the right... Um... The right, <laughs> not T cell. Yeah, I guess uh, the MHC dendritic cells to pick it up and uh, somehow weave some magic and make a, make antibodies to it. That's the <laughs> that's how that works, right? And it, it, the um, the lipid nanoparticles are very very inflammatory, and they're going to draw in neutrophils, and those neutrophils are going to end up there long before. Um, any T or B cells get involved, and um, they're going going to try and digest it with uh, proteolytic enzymes like neutrophil elastase. And what we need to know, and this is, I, I got in this argument on Twitter with this guy just now, um, who was claiming, you know, that I was using um, research that had been done on the uh, the virus version of the spike. To make an, to infer that two P spike does the same thing, right? 
But what this reveals, really, is that the research simply hasn't been done. Mm. They're assuming without evidence that two-piece spike is safe. Yeah, it's it's so. a constant bugbear of mine that because something hasn't been published, it doesn't exist. Um, it, it's such a logical fallacy that it shouldn't need explaining. But, you know, when you've got a new phenomenon, it takes time for the papers to come out. And True. <laughs> he... Um, well, it may have been done, but in any case, the research just hasn't been published yet. Well, I mean, there's the Nystrom paper that sort of has a good crack at that. And they actually, as well as the computational analysis of the spike protein, they also run some um chemistry as well benchtop chemistry looking at sort of amyloid fibril buildup um and in my mind that's the best that we have at the moment um yeah. you, you know the issue is it's t technically it's actually a, a very very hard thing to do because you've got to to get the right answer you need to be doing it in vivo and then you've got to be able to um, extract out uh, if there are amyloidogenic clots forming and then you have to demonstrate what what would be the causal mechanism for that and you, you know we we can presume some sort of proteolytic action and they put forward neutrophil elastase as a as a um, primary mechanism but there could there could be many more and the idea that we know everything now is it, it, it's it's just ridiculous and well actually there was um there was another study that showed that um spike could in initiate coagulation cascade in platelet poor plasma in the presence of trypsin so mm, i'm not familiar with that one maybe do you have a link for that one? Let me see. I'll have to. I'll have to look it up. Um, but while whilst you're looking that up, I just I received a very interesting email today. Uh, I want to shout out to uh, I'll say Chris, um, and what he did was um, used what's the software um, Waltz, and um, actually ran the um so, so waltz is a software for looking for amyloidogenic sequences and um he's actually run uh, a bunch of them the i say the wuhan spike and the delta spike and let me just share my screen and i'll share my screen with you uh let's see share screen Sent a couple links over. Okay, um, so this this was sent to me uh, this morning. So, uh, Waltz predicting amyloid amyloidogenic regions in protein sequences, and um, it, there you can see the uh, amino acids, and um, those all those big peaks in purple are amyloidogenic sequences in the Wuhan strain. Uh, oh wow! Let, let me just oh, it won't let me uh, move that beyond the chat, but you can see that, right? 
Yes. Yeah, and here's Omicron. Wow. Yeah. So, and um, I should plug in the uh, the Moderna and the Pfizer into this software, but look, it it's the same. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be the same. Yeah. It's it has the same motifs um, along its length as the. As the, as the spike from the from the virus yeah so yeah, yeah. and th th so we're we're in a world where people who were um cheerleading for the rollout of this technology have whether i mean you could you, you, look, not everyone's going to be okay with the uh, molecular biology at this level but um in this instance it doesn't matter right if you if you were cheering on the uh how should we say the tribe being loaded onto cattle cars you're just as guilty as the uh, right. as, <laughs> as those who were poking them with bayonets and the um and the same the same legally the same applies here you don't get to cheer along war crimes or crimes against humanity and yeah. you, you certainly don't get to um, smother public debate about this as a um, oh, somehow I've got an echo coming through. Is that on my end or your end? Um, not sure. Do you have earphones in? You do, right? I have, I have headphones on, yeah. Why am, why am I hearing an echo? it's mild it doesn't matter um there we go so you know there's no um there's no justification or no legal defense in this uh, scenario and you know this is why i'm of the opinion that um when it, or if we're successful in bringing about charges and i would i would perhaps take a glimmer of hope from the last week or so with respect to so you've got the court case in oh i keep forgetting the state where they just dep depositioned fauci missouri but they had him on the stand with respect yeah. to uh, um collusion between big tech and government and essentially uh, inhibiting um, americans right to first amendment free speech protections and that coupled with the f latest FOIA release that you know names and shames the cadre of scientists who um knew there was a high probability of a lab leak threw all scientific objectivity out the window and just went with um narrative yeah the back and forth there with jeremy ferrar and all mm. that yeah 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 and it, it seems um particularly in the for the first time the british press are starting to pick it up uh which is um you, you know once that dam breaks the british press can be pretty pretty lethal uh, with respect to um, attacking um, government systems, I guess. Yeah. 
and you know in in this respect i'm kind of hopeful that we will eventually get pushed back and you know and of course who can, who can forget elon musk's um amnesty kicking right, right? <laughs> so <laughs> i've got about 20 accounts uh, about to be set free i think somebody mentioned in the chat uh the pp bond uh won't stop the cleaving through the two cathepsin cleavage sites um on the the spike protein there um that's um yeah no. that's a good point i mean it, it the spike has alternative cleavage sites yes it's um it's not just the furin cleavage site it's it has others yeah i think so. i think the furin cleavage site sort of takes center role because of its um it, its ability to transfect so many tissues the cathepsin one i'm I, I, i'm not so sure of the details yeah, it, has to, it has to be enzyme has to be present so mm. um yeah but the well, I, I, I mean, the point, the point being that perhaps um, after three years, w we are going to see some pushback and, you know, people like yourself and the work that you did um, may actually, you know, be, be part of, uh, 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 well, bringing justice, right? Uh, yeah. That, that's what... Um, this should be about hang on i've got beeps going off somewhere uh, what is that discord um uh someone's uh so chris is asking can i use your letter for a blog series can you sure yeah okay. absolutely i released everything under uh creative commons so, so. there you go um so yeah, I mean, d d your thoughts on the um, the events of the last few weeks? I mean, I, I've, I've just been gassing for the last few You're the guest. Um, have, you, uh, have you read Aaron Cariotti's uh, book, The New Abnormal, The Rise of the Biomedical Security State? Uh, I haven't. This is the one that's banned in California, right? Yes. <laughs> um, they actually banned it from public libraries down there. It's really crazy um but the thing is is that um some of the points he raises i i'm myself i'm about you know a quarter of the way through, through the beginning of it but um uh some of the points that he raises are very important i i think and and germane to what we're seeing um with this um all this tracking of people's movements and and uh, biosurveillance and you know, well, essentially, you know, like like the um, the creation of like a surveillance state, right? Um, he uh, draws comparisons between how students in in universities are tracked with like QR codes and such to to how um, Amazon workers are tracked with their their handheld scanners. Um, they they use that that tracking not just you know to know where people are they use it for for performance metrics. So basically, what you're looking at here, um, and this could be extended further to other other forms of tracking, um, things like 
implanted like internet of bodies devices that that siphon away people's health and biometric data and then you you, you got to ask you know where does health privacy go at that point like hipaa and all that right it's kind of a, it's like a disclosure issue it's like do people even realize are people even looking at the fine print <laughs> here it's like um so the thing is 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 um well just really, just... really what this all ties back into is um, scientific management and managerialism. It's yeah. the belief that hu human activity on this planet ought to be controlled like like a factory floor, right? Yeah. With where people's behavior can be kind of like can be codified and analyzed down to a, like a asinine degree, um, basically like you were analyzing. Um, an industrial programmable logic controller and, and a, operating like a robot arm or something, but applying that to people and their behaviors. Yeah. So, and, and there was a story in, uh, I want to say, Wall Street Times that was sort of alluding to this that um, you know it's not it's not government that's doing this. It's it's corporations and employers who are tracking. Um, individuals, so well, keyboard uh, logging, facial expressions through the camera, and um, yeah, you could argue that there's a fuzzy boundary now between quote unquote stakeholders, be it government. There's or... um, exactly there. Well, uh, that's exactly what I was about to say. There's through private-public partnerships. Uh, there's a great deal of osmosis where these corporate practices are finding their way into government. Yes. Um, where they, they want to take the same metrics that have been used um, by Amazon, by Google, and so on, and apply them to governance. And yeah. this is where things start to get really freaky. <laughs> because essentially what you're looking at here is the application of systems engineering and systems cybernetics to human behavior on large scales. Um, basically, they want to take human agency out of the picture and just have top-down control of people's people's behavior to a very very fine-grained degree yep so and um like i say i i'm of the opinion we either push back now keep raising the issues now or uh, it looks very dark to me maybe maybe the zoomer generation are just happy with it I don't our, know. our pushback our pushback um is because we like our agency um we like the idea that we have free will <laughs> to put it to put it bluntly that we have that we have choices um what they're trying to do is they're trying to give us the illusion of choice but without the substance yes yeah so it, we have a choice between a number of different alternatives and all of those alternatives are like some crappy smartphone game with microtransactions in it yeah but you know you could argue that <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've, I've uh, played plenty of those games, and uh, you know, <laughs> did, I know. <laughs> you know what? Was I just building the prison walls for myself? But then, you exactly, know, it, it's the same with um, cryptos and all, all this next-gen technology. Um, what seems they, they took one look at Farmville, and they decided, let's apply this same <laughs> pattern of addiction to every aspect of human behavior and governance uh, ga ga gamify everything hang on let's uh someone's just saying um 
let's see. I disagree with Kevin about the cassettes and cleavage sites that break off the HIV episodes. Um, uh, generator, I just, I'm, I don't know enough about the cassettes in cleavage site to really be commenting on it. I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, I, it's just from the legal perspective where we are right now with respect to trying to bring cases uh, or um, what do you call it house senate uh, committees grand juries etc um, the, the Furing cleavage site is where we have the most um, the most evidence I would say of malfeasance of the scientists who were there at the beginning and gaslit the public it, it's it's not a it's not a comment from me about the importance of it with respect to pathophysiology i mean the the question i would have is you know is that cathepsin cleavage site is that present only in sars if it's present only in SARS-CoV-2, then yeah, I would I would agree that um, it probably needs more investigation. If it's a um, if it's a more generalizable um, cleavage site, then um, I, I don't know how it, it it relates to specifically lab origins. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dismissing it. Um, it, oh, it, its importance uh, in this respect. So, um, don't don't take offence, please. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Um, uh, so yes, we we, we were talking about um, how they were looking to micromanage us. And this has actually been ongoing for a very very long time. If people look back um, about thirty years or so. Um, to Robert Kodlek and um, his anthrax scares and whatnot, and um, oh, you mean the deliberate release of Amerifrax on the American right, public? Right, on, uh, Yeah, <laughs> they tried to fit up, uh, and they they used that to justify um, a massive expansion of, of BSL three and BSL four laboratory capacity throughout the U.S. Um, the thing is, this actually brought a lot of scrutiny onto their operations. Um, people like uh, Ed Hammond and the Sunshine Project started looking into this, and um, there was a, 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 any there was updates a, there was a on him? Big hearing. Um, I, 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 we actually, spoke about him last time, and it's, I, I know of him, but uh, he's kind of gone dark lately. But. Um, yeah, if I, I guess if I were him, I would too. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, is that um, so basically the response to this scrutiny, people trying to obtain minutes of meetings um, and trying to FOIA um, stuff about um, about these these biosafety labs and, and what kinds of research they were conducting. Um, this um, they they reacted to this very negatively. They they basically just sent back completely redacted documents, and eventually all this research was uh, outsourced. They just pushed it overseas, and 
and the all the scrutiny went away like nobody was able to access anything anymore it was no longer subject to foia because it was being done uh by ditra affiliated biolabs in foreign countries like in ukraine um at the at the wuhan institute of virology um at the the the, the luger center in 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 georgia um and they did that essentially i mean in my view so they can conduct this um dual use research of concern you know gain of function research uh without any oversight at all without or without without any whistleblowers without any uh freedom of information requests um without any of that they just they just wanted to, to conduct this stuff with impunity yes yeah um very very alarming that they would would go to such lengths to avoid public scrutiny it shows that they don't have our our best interests in mind so well, if i was to Steel Man is the wrong. I'll, I'll just use Steel Man. Um, but, you know, reading, I, I read through the FOIA documents this, or, or yeah, last week. Um, I, I did a stream with Charles, very, very long, detailed stream. I, I encourage everyone to go and watch it just about what they did and didn't know. And um, my, there's an element there of, these people don't know what they're doing, right? Just, yeah. just that they know to, or, or their instinct is to cover it up. It's not, well, with the caveat that we don't know what was said on the burner phones, etc., cetera, when, um, when they did have those meetings, just, just what we see in the emails. But from the emails, and, you know, this is, it, it was kind of sort of, encapsulated by Francis Collins basically saying um, I don't understand these mechanisms or pathways to get to this putative Furing cleavage site could someone explain that to me and then right. and then there's the response from Farrow which is which is in response to and I forget who said that but they say that they were they could have been doing serial passage in BSL two of these agents and Farah's response is just Wild West. Right. And... <laughs> um yeah, there's definitely not the kind of work that they should be doing in like a BSL two lab. So No, but uh, you know, the but point being it's not it's not like they were they were like oh oh we, we, we've been caught out quick but burn everything because and, and the, the reason i think this is, is is because um although uh nih and niaid might have been conduits for um funding at, at, at the public level right because they've, they've got to have some outward facing bureaucracy that um, you know, should be open to uh, querying. Um, that I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the the, the DITRA, the DARPA, are the um, are the real bad actors here. And that's not to say that there aren't good people in those organisations. I'll add. That, yes. Um, you know, um, we wouldn't be where we are without whistleblowers from those organizations. But at, at an executive level, um, it, it 
comes across to me that it's their programs and they had very, very different goals with respect to what would be the public health um, facade that NIH gave um, via, via this funding. And, and this comes down to the biowarfare and the medical countermeasures uh, associated um, with it. DARPA and, and DITRA are basically central to everything. And um, Doc Keck actually raised something very interesting in the, in the live stream chat. Um, he said uh, that they just sent defense biotechnology methodology that DARPA specifically banned due to its danger to the U.S.'s number one geostrategic adversary. Um, and that's a good point. It's like, what are they looking at here in terms of technology transfer to mm. China? Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, and again, this sort of points to me towards incompetence across multiple levels rather well i don't I, I don't want to say um a overarching nefarious plan because i think there's a part of that in there as well but um i just i just wonder if the bureaucracies and organizations have just got too big for their own good that the left hand didn't yeah. know what the right hand was doing uh, well i mean one one would hope that <laughs> there wasn't like a concerted plan to do any of this but well, we can but pray because I mean, if it if that is the case, then yeah, we're we're really screwed because um, yeah. anything that we try to do with respect to pushback is is not going to go anywhere. Um, but the yeah, I, I, well, you know, that that also has to be taken with the caveat that Fauci was getting two salaries. We learned from Sachs that he was getting paid by, I want to say, Ditra, mm. as well as his NIH salary. So, um, D uh, Dennis Carroll at USAID was still in the employ of USAID when he was essentially sending funds to himself as part of the Global Virome Project, um, which involved um, EcoHealth Alliance, Metabiota, um, Labyrinth Global Health, and so on. And these NGOs are just are essentially taking U.S. DOD funding. Um, they're taking money from USAID um, and from NIH, and they are just funneling it into these foreign bio labs. They're acting essentially as um, as middlemen, as intermediaries, just just subcontracting grants to foreign biolabs that are completely avoiding any scrutiny, any freedom of inf information requests um, for any research that might be conducted in American biolabs. Um, and they're doing it under, like essentially under Department of Co Defense contracts. And um, Andrew Huff's assertion, um, Andrew Huff, the former vice president of EcoHealth Alliance, his assertion is that all of this was essentially an intelligence operation, like um, the CIA through USAID uh, was trying to uh, uh, obtain information on foreign biolab capacities, like what they were capable of doing in terms of like biowarfare research. However, there are a couple holes in that theory. 
for one thing, this same research was, was being conducted in the U.S. for years before it was outsourced. It was only outsourced when scrutiny was applied to it stateside. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is a lot of this work involves t technology transfers that are going from, from us to rival powers. Now, what kind of intelligence operation transfers proprietary technology from like Fort Detrick to the Wuhan Institute of Virology or from uh, UNC Chapel Hill to the Wuhan Institute of Virology? That's not an intelligence operation. They're just giving away our R&D. Yes. And, you know, th there's always the, uh, how should we say, the uh, concept that perhaps the U.S. is trying to manufacture opponents, right, by giving away this technology, right? Because, Possibly. Because, the, you know, the... Look, let's be honest, the U.S. is, in most cases, is quantum leaps ahead of any any other country with respect to military um, power and, um, mm -hmm. um, and, and just tech in, in, in general. And they have to justify their budgets somehow. And so by being able to point at other countries and say, ah, see, they've, they've got... Um, They've got uh, weapons programs, much like we did with Iraq, right? Right. <laughs> we sold them. So we sold them essentially the... job security. Yes. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just keep keep their their uh, share of the uh, government cheese that's getting distributed. And, right. Um, oh, and yeah, of course, uh, Maple's put in the chat uh, Pollard and the Rosenbergs. Um, right. Right. <laughs> those who aren't familiar that's uh that's how yes. your nuclear secrets got disseminated to, uh, to russia <laughs> yeah oh, i want to i want to say uh israel as well right um possibly yeah um but i i mean i i i don't know how you sort of feel about this but if, if there's one thing if, if we manage to achieve one thing right a, a, after all this is that um any anyone that has pretenses to engage in this type of research mu must be transparent. We cannot allow ambiguity like we've had over the last, well, let's say, twenty years. Let's say post nine eleven Amerifrax. Um, right. And you know the. And the thing is, is that Robert Kodlek was involved with the COVID nineteen response as well. Yes. Um, yeah. With Bioport and Fuad El Hebri, or rather, or rather, Emergent Biosolutions, um, and Emergent Biosolutions had huge quality control problems at their plant, and, and it was just—I mean, the place was filthy. They—they they had issues with with hygiene, with um, with quality control, and and yet Robert Codlet kept funneling money to his buddy. Uh, so there's obvious cronyism going on there. Yeah. So, um, and of course, Fraud El Hebris passed away recently, like of cancer or something. So, um, oh, that's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, so I think the CIA might have, 
uh, injected his leg with some cancer-causing agent, and then the guy just uh, conveniently bumped off. But that's just speculation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, your uh, your graph has uh, up updated. I was just trying to look for Robert Cadillac on there, and or maybe just the. Um, I don't know. The display looks different to me. Sarah, um, they changed the site, and I had to import it from the old version of the site to the new one. Okay. So you're still seeing the screen, right? Yes. There's a bit of of. I added a few things to the left side there. Um, if you mouse over um, Galvani Bioelectronics over there on the on the left, um, you should see. Um, they actually have uh, Monsef Slawi, who is the head of um, Operation Warp Speed, and uh, Kaigam Gabriel, Ken Gabriel, uh, were on the board of, of directors of Galvani. So um, if you actually listen to that interview um, where Glenn Beck is interviewing Whitney Webb, uh, she discusses this. She bring this, brings this up how um, Google and GlaxoSmithKline have a partnership called Galvani Bioelectrics, uh, excuse me, Galvani Bioelectronics, rather, um, that um, is investigating um, essentially electronic medicine, like things like um, a splenic nerve stimulating implant that. Uh, prevents inflammation like in, like inflammatory diseases like um um uh, i think in that case it was for arthritis but lenic nerve or um vagus nerve um i think it was i'd have to look it up again and take uh, take another look um i'll send you a link to their site because it has some more information on the therapy um Yes, splenic nerve therapy for uh, rheumatoid arthritis. It's a good question. Doesn't make sense to me. I mean, vagus nerve, yes, splenic nerve, um, not the much, but uh, do you have a link to the? Um, I just sent you a couple oh, links. Okay. Just one. Should be that second one there. Splenic nerve. I'm showing to potentially shift splenic immune cells from a blood inflammation to inflammation resolving state. Interesting. Um, so. Um, if you look at, um, if you click on, on careers up there and then click on leadership, um, and then scroll down, you'll see that, that Ken Gabriel is on their board of directors. I think Monsef Slowy was booted out over like sexual harassment allegations or something. Um, but anyway, Ken Gabriel is the, the COO of Welcome Leap. Yeah. Which is the, the essentially the transhumanist arm of the Wellcome Trust, led by ex DARPA, ex Facebook, ex Google, uh, Regina Dugan. It, you know, it's, some, it's something that doesn't come up in the discussion much. But um, you know, we know Jeremy Farrell was 
on these calls with the Fauci and you know the what what type the proximals proximals calls I guess and no one ever seems to ask why why would someone who's supposedly just head of a funding charity be the go to uh, in in these calls. And Andrew Huff, Andrew Huff stated that the Wellcome Trust um, were intimately linked to the work that EcoHealth Alliance was doing. Well, I mean, i have always been of the opinion that uh, any any of these higher level organisations in the UK are all uh, they're all infiltrated by intelligence anyway, and they're all well <laughs> just to, the, just the, to... um... The Wellcome Trust. The Wellcome Trust is right next door to Tavistock, the Tavistock Institute. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I was about to mention, but they're all pedos. So there you go. There's um, Tavistock, the, Tavist the tranny, yeah. uh, the tranny promoting uh, transgender kid promoting deviant. Uh, that, if, if there's one place that I say let it burn, it's those. Essentially, the Tavistock Institute are the the, um, the top researchers in the world in um, in propaganda, in social engineering, um, in manipulating the psyche of entire populations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, so they've, they've been that way a long time. And yep. um, well, it's. Uh... I think it. I think isn't it Tavistock like their their um, logo? It used to be like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, let me let me just see if uh, I can pull that up. But Tavistock. Sorry, dude. <laughs> but, uh, you you keep uh, you keep talking. I will um, see if I can. Yeah, there. Club of Rome, Tavistock, Fabian Society. The Fabian that's, Society. Yeah, yes, that's, that's who I'm. Uh, but. Tavistock is intimately linked with um, with the Fabian Society, and these are these are very very dark organisations um, in in the UK, and um, hold a vice like grip on the power apparatus. Uh, yes, Libya served. Yeah, you you uh, you correct me in the chat, Liberty. <laughs> I found it eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah no, look none of them are your friend right right and um the well i don't want to i don't want to drag away from our uh, main topic of discussion here but um but we were getting to uh galvani and yeah, this is a new. I, I mean, I considered myself fairly au fait with most stimulation technologies, and this splenic stimulation is a new one for me. 
but I'd never heard of anything like this before. Well, you know, at at the end of the day, it comes down to whether it works or not. And if, if, if there's a method for, um, helping people with rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis, which is a crippling disease in, in, in most instances, I'm, I'm not against the, the use of, of technology to try to resolve these issues. Right. If it, well, if it works, that'd be nice, actually. So, but, um, not not everything that these people are researching has exclusively nefarious uses. Mm-hmm. Um, even brain computer interfaces could, in theory, be used for treating paralysis, blindness, and so on. And there are some legitimate uses there. Um, for instance, say if someone has, like I believe I mentioned this before, but say if someone has like a, like a spinal cord injury, um, you could develop some type of like neural stent type thing that relays um, signals from one side of the brake to the other um, to treat paralysis. Um, and I, so... I know people personally who do that for a living. And I've, I've seen people, and amazingly, and we're we're unsure why. Even even a full spinal cord transection, right? They were able to restore functionality. Now, nice. Um, how how it was doing it? They they were unsure, and the fallback maybe the um, vagus nerve actually might be the sort of bridge through which when you're applying stimulation that you're returning some functionality but the um the the, the question becomes who's who's on these ethics committees and yeah who's what are they doing when they're not in the when, when we can't see their emails in the public domain this is and right and we've had a very very harsh lesson in what that means over the last three years and you know the degree of gaslighting that they've done and tried to maintain right up to right up to the last minute it's it, you know it's funny that um angie rasmussen and Stuart neil have just suddenly put all their um twitter onto private right just as that foyer came out right the thing about it the thing about it it um well, what's been happening over the course of the past few years is the expansion of the surveillance state through the excuse of biosecurity. Yes. They're using they're using biosecurity as an excuse to control people's movements, um, then pathologize normal human social behavior. Essentially, you are the bio threat. Yeah. Like the like the human the human being is the bio threat that they're trying to address here. Yeah. Um, they they veiled it by in you know the language of public health and pandemic control, but it's actually about controlling people's movements. Yeah. And, in, and entirely. Had, and had there not been pushback, at, at the, uh, right from the start of SARS, what the public would have been fed was, this is. Um, you're ecologically out of balance with the environment. We have to do this for your health, right? And that would have meant vaccine passports, which they're still trying to do after the last G20 meeting. Um, yes. Medical experimentation with new 
uh, well, I'm trying, I'm trying not to say the people, <laughs> medical countermeasures, and um, <laughs> you, and you could also you could also add on to that um, tr experimentation with pharmaceuticals because oh, Paxlovid and I forget the name of the other one, uh, th those are experimental compounds. Yes. And it, it's turning out that um, Paxlovid is, I, I just, I want to say it was last week I looked at, I didn't read the paper, I just saw the headline, but um, in rodents, Paxlovid inhibits the innate immune system from a, a, a mounting a quote-unquote proper response to the pathogens. Yeah. And so it's it's not just, it's not just the... Um, gene transfection technologies. There's, it, it opens the door to them to skip any regulatory frameworks that we had in place, burn any ethical frameworks just for the pursuit of, well, I don't think it's money in this instance. Um, right. It's, it's like you say, it's, uh, it, it, it's more about um, control and not just control, but the unlimited expansion of conjoined state and corporate power. Yeah, yeah. Uh, through through stakeholder capitalism and private-public partnerships, and with you know, with, and as well as you know, um, partnerships with with NGOs, yeah, and the like. So and and uh, charitable foundations. Uh, one thing I found um, throughout the past. Oh, several years of researching a lot of this stuff, um, even before uh, COVID-19. Um, you can never trust an NGO. No. You, you can never trust a charitable foundation. It's like they're all involved in some crooked shit. Yeah, and um, and that's just been shoved in our faces with this uh, FTX Debacle. If, if their if their leaders are are not, you know, stealing donations and using them to, to, to for the payments for their new BMW, um, they're involved in influence peddling or something else, or advancing the agendas of someone very very rich and powerful um, on a, a tax free basis. Yeah, and um, I'm trying to. What did they call it? Oh. Something Tax around, exempt PR firms. No, that's th th what a lot of these NGOs operate as. But there's there's this so the FTX um, guru that, that he had a philosophy around altruism, and I'm, that they'd given it a name and or a term, and that that's that's what these billionaires are hiding behind, and. You know, well, they're hiding. They've spent the past century hiding behind faux philanthropy yeah um because because of all the negative pr about all the robert baron stuff they were doing around the turn of the last century they decided hey let's just start a bunch of tax exempt charities and foundations and use those foundations to buy the kind of society that we want to live in yeah yeah and i give you exhibit a uh bill gates um, yes you know it's and the gates foundation and all that yeah uh, which is in turn linked to the CPI, um, CPI. was coalition of uh, yes uh, coalition of um, for epidemic prepare, uh, preparedness innovations I believe it stands for. Uh, um, wasn't that an F that FTX uh, issue as well? What was 
like the brother was part of a uh, effective altruism. That's what they call it. Um, well, CPI is also linked to the Welcome Trust and Welcome Leap, mm. by the way. Yeah, and you know, it's it's ways to move money. It's ways to engage in, um, well, image management and nudging psychological nudging of of the populace right yes because <laughs> you know anyone with well, half a brain nudge theory yeah yeah and and that... um as well as uh what's his face um um you remember the book uh predictably irrational uh i'm unfamiliar with that one but um by by dan, dan Ariely. Predictably irrational. The thing is, is that a lot of this research into behavioral psychology and behavioral economics um, around like about a decade ago is just now being put into practice um, to the point where corporations engaging in psychological warfare against their customers just to make a sale is something that's that's everyday practice now. Sorry, say that again. The uh, the name of the book? No, 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 no. The summary that you just gave with uh, oh oh uh, the the thing is is that is that corporations are using um, behavioral psychology theories and behavioral economics and nudge theory and all that um, to try and and gamification to try and direct the behavior of their customers, to try and to, to ensure a sale. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you see that a lot in, for instance, uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, uh, like smartphone games. Uh, if you load up um, some cheesy smartphone game, some idle game with microtransactions, and what you'll find is that the game doesn't actually provide any real... Um, uh, intellectual fulfillment of any kind. It's entirely emotional. The whole thing is all about paying them money to uh, to have fireworks leap out of your screen at you. Just to have things flash on your screen that kind of make you feel like you have a sort of a, a sensation of progress without any of the substance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And um... God damn it, my kids are hooked on that. <laughs> and very often, very often what they'll do is they'll hide the the monetization at first. They'll have it so that the parts of the game are locked at the beginning, and then as you progress, it unlocks parts that show like deeper levels of monetization that require even more money to access and so on. They kind of like start people off slow rather than like like coming on strong with with like just pay us 20, 20, 30, $40. No, no, that would drive people away. Instead, they wait until they're hooked. And then they, they just, they, they slowly introduce um, game mechanics that require more and more money. So it's kind of more like a grind. Um, this, this same exact behavior is exhibited by drug dealers. Yes. This is, this is the classic, oh, tr try before you buy type strategy. Um, it's, I mean, they give you a little hit, just one little tiny hit, 
of, of coke or mdma or whatever and then before you know it you, you are hooked and you're coming back for more yeah yeah and uh well the corporations are running this particular uh addiction scam so it's all good spark us we can uh <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all it's all ethical it's all the it's all the hidden hand of the markets doing its thing it's all it's all fun and games until they do it to toddlers right right uh, <laughs> and we have done look uh you know damn me for my parenting skills but um you know all my you know it's a it, it it cuts both ways you know my my kids are brilliant with computers at a very young age um of course. Uh, uh you know coding and um you know it's just becoming a a natural language to them but you yeah. can you can see the the addictive properties right they're always always trying to get back to the pc right doesn't you know, yeah we went out yesterday and um you know we just had uh, uh you know m most of it was a good time but you can you can see that uh <laughs> it's the end they're needing their they're needing their little dopamine fix from uh playing on roblox or minecraft um, uh, i was um i was actually exposed to um the personal computer at a very very young age same. i was i um actually got into into gaming um in like the mid 90s so like i was i was like Oh, you're just a greenhorn. I remember. <laughs> I, I remember we used to have those little potentiometers with Pong. and uh... Right, right. <laughs> but I was like seven years old, and we had this IBM Aptiva with a Pentium 2 and um, a 3DFX Voodoo 2 card. Oh, I remember getting um, one of those, like, Dick. <laughs> I believe it was, like, it was like a Diamond Monster 3D2 in there. <laughs> and... Um, we had uh, Need for Speed 2 uh, SE. Uh, we had um, Homeworld, uh, Star Siege. Oh, classic, classic. Star, yeah. StarCraft. Yeah. Um, we had everything. So mm. uh, that was actually kind of like a golden age, like right around there, like the late 90s. A whole bunch of games came out around that time that were amazing. Yeah, and they, they, they um, didn't try and milk your wallet once you'd purchased them, right? You bought the game and yeah. you, it, it was yours, right? You could do what you want with it. You could even copy it and uh, give it to your mates if you wanted. Right. <laughs> now. And, um, yeah, so the, the thing is, is that we're, we're just getting to the point now where um, the new generation have lived their entire life with, like, touchscreen devices. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So we have no idea what the... Um, uh, what that'll do to their neurological development, to their social development, and so on. But well, I, you know, I, I'm I'm happy to say my kids are nice and polite and generally do what they're told. And you know, <laughs> my my daughter's a little devil for waiting for everyone to go to sleep and then going and play the PC in at night. But um, we're we're hiding the keyboard and the, <laughs> the right the, the USB dongle, so uh, she can't. Um, she can't use it, but um, it, it's it's uh, my concern is less about uh, the kids kids being. I was addicted to video games. Was well into my adult life. Right, <laughs> Just, I, uh, but it's it's 
the topic that you were talking about earlier, which is where these corporations have um, seen it as a as a means means to an end to um, grab control and micromanage people. And you know, you you what springs to mind is what's his name Harari. What's the first name? You uh, you, you all know Harari. Yeah. Um, the his statement where he you know what are we going to do in the future yes exactly like basically saying you know um since ai are i mean you know since we're coming out with these these deep learning applications that um are capable of, of fulfilling functions in society that that people used to be employed to do um what what can i mean the people who are, are newly unemployed because of this like what could they be expected to do if not you know have you know diversions play mm. video games etc um drugs to to, to cope drugs to, to cope with their newfound uh uselessness to society mm. um it's um basically what the a, thing about it what a way to conceptualize individuals as just being just their jobs right yeah it's like i mean people are, are more than their jobs and <laughs> our, our society should i mean it should reflect that it should i mean our goal should be to attain a high quality of life mm. um, not necessarily just maximize someone's balance sheet mm. for and, 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 for the sake of and, and, just you know, making numbers go up. And, and part part of that. Ah, oh, oh, Salo. <laughs> you had enough? Uh, I want to say thank you. Someone just sent me a dono. Much much appreciated. Let me just uh, say see who that was, so I can say thank you. Um, but the you know part part of a fulfilled life, I would argue, is it, it, it is to have. A family and children and yes um that seems antithetical to what these weffers for want of a better expression uh, are aiming for well uh, they, they they are neo-malthusians and eugenicists and believe that for one thing not only that we are overpopulated but for another that uh our industrial and economic growth is excessive that it's straining the planet's mm. ability to provide for our needs mm. and that's that's essentially their thesis so if we look at what they're actually saying what they're claiming um what we quickly find is that all this climate change stuff is kind of a red herring yes um they they promote the idea of um uh, atmospheric co2 to to give people something like an external threat to latch on to mentally something that they can fix with their own habits of course never mind that most co2 emissions are industrial right mm. they're not coming from individuals um the thing is is that um what they don't want is for people to catch wind of the f i mean to, to to catch on to th that um what they actually believe is that we're overpopulated and that human beings are the real threat. Mm. Yep. Um, and what they use to justify that are ana analyses that show that we're running out of um, arable land 
that we're having um, widespread soil erosion all across the planet um, to the tune of approximately um, 12 million hectares every year. It's like, it's something like, it's like billions of tons of topsoil that are being lost um, every year. It's, it's, it's like an, a, it's like the area of North Korea, but spread globally. It's just, it's turning from uh, arable topsoil essentially into sand because of, um, because of er erosion from over irrigation and so on. Um, and not just that, they also bring up um, the impending water crisis from uh, drawing excessive water from, from underground aquifers, uh, fresh water, and um, as well as uh, the impending phosphorus crisis, um, because most of the phosphorus that we use for fertilizer is non-renewable and it's mined. So, and what they're claiming, essentially, when you take all this stuff and like, all these claims together, like in the aggregate, like what, like what George Monbiot or, or Kate Rawworth or that dude, I really. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, if if you take what they they say in the aggregate, uh, what they're claiming is that we'll run out of food, or rather the the ability to, the ability to produce food in a matter of of several decades. Mm, well, so, Monbiot had a series in the Guardian. I want I want to say about like seven eight years ago, where it was like ten thousand days to save the planet some some ridiculous headline like that and they were literally right. counting it down and we, yeah but and nothing happened nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> nothing happened and you know i'm and i'm just struck by the hypocrisy of this people because uh i don't think it was the g20 but there was a clip sort of floating across my social media as 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 they're jacking up fuel prices etc there were 800 private planes flying into egypt that week, exactly right and this, is, this has been this has been ongoing for a matter of, of decades this uh this neo-malfusion stuff you look at like maurice strong for instance in the united nations environment program you look at um the um uh, the the Council on Foreign Relations and the Club of Rome, mm. and the Club of Rome's limits to growth report and the and MIT's World Three simulation. Mm. This goes all the way back to like the 1970s, yeah. and um, it goes back to uh, the Nixon shock and um, the decoupling of wages and productivity in the U.S. and so on. Um, essentially, what these people are doing. Is they're using environmentalism as an excuse for deindustrialization, and they're using deindustrialization to um, to destroy the middle class, to to orchestrate and to institute a a caste system with debt slaves opposite uh, rentier capitalists who own all property. Yeah. Oh, very that's, eloquent. That's their, very eloquent. That's their ultimate goal here, and they they're using the the CO two scare, the climate scare, all of this just to attack the middle class and to attack the source of the middle class's prosperity. Mm. Well, I, I would just say it's not the middle class; it's the working class as well, because it's the working class who are dependent upon those industrial jobs to feed their families week by week, and that's that's of course, all got... of course. But but look at the at Klaus Schwab's fourth industrial revolution. 
What is, what is he actually claiming? He's claiming that all of those jobs that the working class normally do are going to be digitized. They're going to disappear. Mm. They're going to be digitized and virtualized and replaced with artificial intelligences mm. um, performing those same tasks. And look, it's it's like I, I believe I, I've used this analogy before, but um, it's like think of books, for instance. Think of um, what it, it used to take to publish a book. Uh, you, you used to need a, a paper mill, a, a publishing house, um, a, a printing, printing shop, a bookstore that with cashiers, and so on. And nowadays, if you want to publish a book, you send a PDF in to Jeff Bezos and Kindle Direct Publish, and it goes into a cloud server, and then the, then people just download it right to their Kindle. And, then, and essentially, you've eliminated how many jobs right there? Hundreds? Thousands? The... The paper mill's gone, the, the, the loggers are gone, the publishing houses and the editors and typesetters are all gone, the bookstore is gone, and the cashiers at the bookstore are gone. And m m more nefariously, um, y you've... That's the fourth industrial revolution. It's an industrial revolution without people, yes. without humans. Yes, and the, the point I wanted to make is that... Um, that there isn't a choice of publishing or, or the choice of publishing houses becomes less and less and less such that if you've got something to say that um, might be critical of your betters, your overlords, um, you're not getting that word out, right? Yes. It's this, um, these lockdowns were used to attack small businesses. They were used to attack the, the last remnants of entrepreneurial capitalism. And they were used to consolidate oligopolistic power in the e-commerce giants. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Amazon didn't stop during the pandemic, right? And, and now, now the other big box stores did. Mm. Or, or online stores either. It was a spectacular success in that regard, and you know, I I do well. You know, I've, people are bored of me telling me this anecdote, but I bore you with it from just my trip to the U.S. It's just um, if you told me that you would see empty shelves in the U.S., I would never have believed you. But I saw empty shelves in Pennsylvania, in Texas, and in Michigan, all three states that I visited. Yep. and it, uh, f to imagine the the richest country with one of the most dynamic economies in human history would be looking at bare shelves i i would have never believed you no way no how but what it, I, what i find um really I, I don't know i guess what i find kind of disheartening about all of this is how it seems to have snuck up on on people mm. um because i was i was telling people all about this about degrowth about deindustrialization and so on and and limits to growth report and all that stuff um in the early 2010s and how all this climate change rhetoric would ultimately lead in that sort of neo-balthusian direction mm. um there are like ted talks and all kinds of stuff that date back um Oh, like a decade uh, with people going up on stage and saying how we need to, to consider eating crickets to save mm. the planet. Mm. And people are, are acting like, you know, like living in the pod and eating the bugs is something that just came out of nowhere over the course of the past few years. That it's just 
it's just popped up out of nowhere. But it, but that's not the case. This has been an ongoing thing where environmentalists and some uh, climatologists and, and so on are propagandizing our leaders and offering up these actually rather undemocratic propositions about what the shape of human life should, should be like on this planet going forward. Yeah, so you can, you can look at the, like I say, environmentalism and the, the climate, well, what did they call Greenhouse. Greenhouse effect, right? We were all going to boil to death and what have you. And um, you, you wouldn't get a grant if you had a different take in academia on the data, right? And so, in in a sense, that was a microsm of a, a slower burning version of what we had in the last three years. And this is this is why I will put forward the premise that I I don't think we're going to see any stop to this type of um, programming. And what's the uh, ESG, environmental, environmental, social, social governance, governance, yes, um, yes. A, a, and that that's in everything now. Like the the servers that I use to run the streaming, right? <laughs> when you when you set them up and you you know we try and bring a new server online, they want they ask if you want to. Um, Oh, I, can't, I can't remember the exact questions, but there's there's a bunch of um, tick boxes that you have to do to, to see if you want to be in compliance with ESG. Right. Uh, and um, well, it's not just it's not just that um, ESG is basically something that's being pushed by Larry Fink and BlackRock, and like where if you want to have investment dollars, you have to be compliant with our. Um, our social goals kind of a thing. And really it's just an excuse for, for um, a small number of, of huge investment firms and hedge funds to decide um, how their investment dollars are, are, are spent, what they put them, them towards um, and, and to blackmail corporations into compliance with their agenda. Yeah. And it, it, um, it's really, it's, it's a scam. And it's, amazingly easy from what I understand. Like BlackRock doesn't have to come and take over your company. They just buy enough shares in it that they can have a sway on the board, right? And um, through, through that mechanism, they've been able to infiltrate no end of companies. And that's been writ large in the last week as we've seen um, major corporations abandoning Twitter. And I was looking right. through the list of those, and BlackRock is in the list. Now, you know, I don't think BlackRock was directly advertising on Twitter. I'm not sure what they would be advertising, but I, I can be, I would, I would have a, I think I'd be pretty dead on in saying that all those other corporations that did pull out, BlackRock had a, uh, had a say on their board. Right. Um, so the thing about it is that, um, this environmental, social and governance stuff is essentially being used to whitewash, um, corporations, environmental impacts. What they're doing is this, this is saying, 
we're being socially responsible so you, you don't have to look at you know like what our actual what, how green we're being and so so it's like they essentially they they took uh being green being socially responsible and, and so on and and um kind of lump them together into one score so that they can they can just kind of pollute with impunity but at the same time counterbalance it by hiring by having a few diversity hires or whatever so yeah. it's it's all nonsense yeah. um and uh as we can see twitter appears to run perfectly fine um after basically the entire trust and safety division has been fired uh, I just, <laughs> i've just been told i need to give a shout out to mark for uh, a dono thank you mark for the dino and oh yeah i forgot to say thank you to who that was in um uh god damn hang on one second yeah but you're right that this these programs are um long-term pervasive and are um the tip of the spear with respect to uh controlling you your loved ones and and your community and um you know i i i look at it as a form of globalized bolshevism they want to centralize everything and um you will you will conform to their party diktats and you know my my concern right now is that um we know what happens in history is that revolution um gets a hold because and you could argue that it's fait accompli for most of it we know what right. comes next which is the purges yes um, they... a bunch of a bunch of people in the chat were mentioning uh elon musk um elon musk is not to be trusted um but at the same time he's he's currently shaking things up in a way that we may benefit from mm. Yes. So we we could we could use this, uh, like look at what's happening at Twitter right now. Um, but on the uh, but all the same, they could make use of this as well. So e Elon Musk is is basically um, what, what what's basically happening at Twitter right now is they are, are using the um, the lack of censorship as as an excuse to later implement even more strict censorship um look at look at um the european union and what is it the digital services act or whatever or whatever they call it um basically they want to codify into law that there are certain kinds of speech that that aren't allowed if you're if you're you know to be allowed to do business in the in the european union um that you can't allow like hate speech on your platform and all that and and meanwhile i'm you know i'm american i am very much in favor of the first amendment um and kind of uh, basically i'm kind of a free speech absolutist i believe that people should be allowed to say basically whatever they want uh within within reason but the thing about it is that the problem here is that people are, are restricted to um to communicating on online platforms that are that are entirely centralized and um uh, that are that is, that leak people's private data to to governments on demand so like if if 
um, GCHQ in the UK um, asks for people's Facebook information. That uh, Facebook will give it give it to them. Um, if the Department of, Hel of Homeland Security or the FBI asks Twitter for for people's information, you know, they'll hand stuff over. So what we need, what we actually need is um, a distributed internet, like what Brewster Kale, the head of the Internet Archive, uh, has long discussed. Uh, we need um, we need to, um, well, like he says, lock the web open. Um, instead of having these centralized platforms like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, and so on, we need to have peer-to-peer -peer protocols that completely eschew the centralized platform in its entirety. What that would do is it would it would sidestep these government regulations. You can't you can't have I mean the EU can't regulate what people do with a peer-to-peer -peer platform. They'd have I mean it's um any more than you can regulate someone who sells a megaphone um for what their customer does with the megaphone. Um, if we have a protocol that allows for peer-to-peer -peer communication like that, any enforcement would have to be done at the level of the individual, which would completely bog down these governments and prevent them from limiting free speech. Well, I mean, the, the problem you have, though, with, with this approach is just trying to build a sort of critical mass uh, of users. And, you know, I've sort of run into this problem people are creatures of habit and they'll go to um, they'll go to the platform that's most convenient for them and you know that's why I that's still, true I still stream um, on YouTube and um, the any replacements for these platforms would have to be um, as user-friendly and they would have to have to provide the same or better user experience so and in order to um hasten their adoption so what we're we're talking about here is stuff like um well not just like like ether and peer to but also stuff like um ipfs the interplanetary file system and uh, orbit db um basically i mean what is what is twitter what, what really what is twitter twitter is just like forum software it stores people's posts in like a mysql database right uh, but if you can replicate that same kind of like databasing like software, but, but do it like asynchronously and peer to peer, then you don't need a server. You can be completely like serverless. So, and if you don't have a server, then there's nothing to censor. Right. It's, right. Um, it, it, it's down to the level of the individual. So, yeah. Um, um, and that's what we need is a distributed internet. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you, but it's, it's it's very much an uphill struggle right now. It it is, and a lot of these these protocols are. Um, let's just say the software is not super mature. Um, it's not to the point where you you could reasonably expect to deploy something and have it be secure and uh, and usable. Yeah, so you know, even the proof of concept, sure, but. The streaming platform we have, um, yeah, okay, we're censorship-free at the moment, but um, suddenly I got news this morning that, uh, oh, they got hundreds of millions of uh, investment, and 
I don't know who's given that investment and what is it that they're going to demand of the, this company that's hosting um, the, the current servers. Um, someone, in the, someone in the chat just said peer-to-peer -peer over ham for the win. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> internet over ham radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's, nice. It's... Uh, it's an it's a it's a worthy goal to be aiming for and in i i would imagine that we're going to need m multiple instances of matrix like um instances and but to do something do something like we're doing now which is stream and discuss and oh god damn it we've got 170 people watching wow, wow. yeah Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, you need, um, you do need this um, centralized, or not, yeah, server farms, basically. Right. And in a sense, you're always just renting the hardware from them. And L look at um, like uh, op OpenAI and um, and GPT, and look at uh, like Stable Diffusion, uh, Midjourney, and all that stuff. Um, a lot of people don't realize how these like deep learning models um, actually work. Um, when, when people make it, the reason why all of these services are um, uh, subscription based is because it costs a lot. Um, to run these these deep learning algorithms. So, um, what what happens is when you put a query in to their web portal or or whatever, or or use like a Discord bot that 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 queries it, for instance, like that essentially that I mean they just have to give the bot like an API key um, to access like a web portal, like a hidden web portal to send it to their server, right? Their request. Um, what it's actually doing is it's it's running that deep learning model on like NVIDIA GP GPU racks, mm. for instance, like um, oh like NVIDIA A one hundreds or something, you know, like the their um, general purpose computing on on uh, GPUs and um, variably expensive. It's just they suck down tons and tons of kilowatt hours of electrical power to i mean with every single query that people make to, to run these these deep learning applications and um but technically speaking um if moore's law continues to hold then eventually these deep learning applications will find their way into people's personal devices um we'll see maybe dedicated AI chips on a, a smartphone or something in in the year by the year twenty forty or something. No. Um, perish the forty. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, um and we again we it's this um double double edged sword of, of the technology. I and I, I don't want to come across as a Luddite. I like technology, dude. I think I, I think it's cool. The, the the problem is is it's those that are in, in positions to wield it in in a dual use manner right and i i would put forward the premise that um total surveillance which seems to be one of their goals is is a weaponized 
implementation of this technology and we must well it's not just it's not just total surveillance it's it's also going to be used for knowledge discovery um they they're so eager to use deep learning um to make a um an ai scientist who can look over i mean who i mean that can, can look over um uh, i'm offended uh, by your pronouns sir how dare you exactly <laughs> um they, they can look over like um thousands of papers potentially mm. and find correlations in the data that people miss mm. um and things like that but also not just um uh, knowledge discovery but also like uh things like protein synthesis from scratch um uh, consider for instance um uh, like the folding at home project um ever, ever hear about that like oh yeah yeah i used to using I used, like their uh, i used to put that like, in grant applications as i would justify um because i i'd use deep learning for uh behavioral acquisition right right and, and the uh, the, the, well, it was expensive, you know, five, five, ten years ago. <laughs> this this it was nowhere near as sophisticated as it is right now. And, um, mm. you know, you had to justify um, asking for these, uh, you know, server-grade uh, GPUs. And so, someone, someone in the chat, uh, Horatius, said folding at home is not machine learning-based. That's true. Uh, folding at home... Uh, used, uh, for instance, like um, uh, people's PlayStation 3s back in the day mm. as a great big distributed supercomputer to kind of brute force the problem of protein folding. Yes. And the thing about it, though, is that a lot of the data that was generated from those early protein folding simulations could be applied to machine learning Mm. Uh, algorithms eventually they could take those same data sets and then have machine learning algorithms start trawling through them mm. oh they, um, they already are doing that right and yeah. the i mean presumably they already are so the th what we're looking at here eventually maybe within the next couple decades or so is the use of ai for um uh protein design kind of like ex nihilo you know, just just coming up with entirely new synthetic proteins not found in nature um, with AI assistance. And th that's where there's a lot of this overlap um, between computer like between computer science and biotech, because advancements in one are essentially going to end up feeding directly into advancements in the other. Yeah, and this is um, it's, it's writ just, large in neuroscience. It's writ large in neuroscience, right? And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're on a mission to think that they can deconstruct our consciousness through these mechanisms. And look, there, there'll be another implementation, deep learning, 2.0 that they think will get them that bit closer to uh, imbuing their their what does that mean but, but imbuing technology with the ability to make from their perspective moral and ethical decisions on the fly and that frightens me right right because whose moral morals and ethics are you putting in there and 
you know we're we're coming very close to the point where they're going to roll out their central bank digital currencies and um because of these stakeholder private government partnerships your right. your your access to your basic income is going to be decided by a machine and yes. if you haven't well, look at what charles morgan was saying um at at uh, west point's modern warfare institute in front of a bunch of soldiers he was saying you know we have the technology already to introduce engineered cells into in, into people um, and reprogram their memories, essentially, repro and reprogram their minds using these these cells that have um, like dreads on them, like designer receptors exclusively activated by designer drugs mm. and stuff. And and all I can think is, you know, this is just the what he's describing here is just the beginning. Because if you can if you can engineer a, a neuron like that that is that is susceptible to manipulation right now, then maybe in a decade or two they could come up with with um uh, neur uh neurons that uh, i mean artificially designed uh genetically engineered neurons that have designer proteins that completely alter their behavior mm. to the point to the point where um behavioral regulation would be built directly like genetically into those those cells mm. well you know i'm I'm hopeful that the complexities of our minds are are still a long, long way away from this this type of direct manipulation. But you know, on the as a caveat to that, um, I would you you can just look at the technologies right now and just see how easily people are manipulated through screens. Um, well, look look for instance at how genes how they've been spending so much effort categorizing genes that affect human behavior mm. as and especially by like doing animal studies and doing like like uh, gene knockouts to see what they do right mm. Mm. Um, look at for instance uh, monoamine oxidase a and its correlation to aggression they call it the warrior gene for instance um, what if you could create a genetically modified subspecies of humans that has this specific gene altered to eliminate aggression for, for instance yeah so and what if you could you could um, and it doesn't stop there if you have the, the ability to, to generate designer proteins from scratch um, that have entirely novel behaviors that limit or in it that like inhibit aggression um you could you could incorporate those into the genome and have those those cells generate entirely new proteins with entirely new functions not found in nature well as a glimmer of hope here i would look at recent events in china right now um and i can i can tell you from personal experience china china has been big into um behavioral modification through deep brain stimulation it's the biggest market on the planet for those right. uh, for for those implants and um it it hasn't cracked the nut of people's desire to live without interference and you know the 
you know, Klaus Schwab is on record as saying that sort of China is the ideal um, society that, that they're aiming for. But, you know, they've only been able to push it so far until people ha have pushed back. And, you know, was it like the Shanghai was under lockdown for like 90 days in, in right. the, within the last few months. And, you know, that's, and you have to remember, these people are living in little shoebox apartments stacked on top of one another. And, I, I mean, that's basically a prison cell. Right. Yes. Um, and uh, it's a concentration camp. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll, we'll finish talking about China and then I'll, I'll just tell you about my experience with that. But that, um, um, it hasn't, they haven't been able to stop the desire of people. And in this instance, it seems to be, from what I understand, promulgated by university students, the, the, the younger generation the, the, who, yeah, are, are getting tired of being at the, at the end of that QR code, right? Because that's right. how China has done it. It's just, boom, they flick a switch, you're all on lockdown now, and... Um, Go back to your homes. Only come out for testing. And I've I've got no idea what infrastructure they had in place to make sure that people in those tower blocks were were getting food. Yes. Well, they don't have any, um, unless they're doing like drone deliveries. But the thing about it is that um, people are carrying around a GPS bug with them everywhere feeding into big data is their smartphone yeah it's it's gathering information on where they go what their their habits are uh it knows what your what your commute is like it knows which which stores you pass on on the way to to, to work and, and on your way home um and it's able to i mean to actually feed you information based on that um like and give you suggestions like where you could where you could shop and all that so but the thing is is that all this this um qr code business they're doing in china they're actually using um yeah, like somebody said um in the chat just now it has a microphone and is listening yes, yes. it has a microphone it has cameras it has um accelerometer so it can be is it can behave um, just like a pedometer, it knows how like like how far you've walked. Um, it knows how 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 much time you spend walking versus driving, um, because of it can pick up the impulses from your footsteps and so on. So, um, and a lot of people don't realize that when you're carrying around a smartphone, you are feeding all that data directly to a server somewhere to to a, a data center um, uh, where it's and, sold on. That's, yes. that's their and business model. The dream of Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari and the like is essentially to take all of those same sensors that are in a smartphone and integrate them directly into the human body so that you, you are feeding uh, big data and data centers with your biometric data and your, um, your health information and um, uh, your, your vital signs and your your current your current location status et cetera et cetera et cetera 
um, just feeding it all to a data center somewhere. And so they can then take those data sets and then pass them to deep learning algorithms to try and suss out and predict what human behavior will look like in the future over the long term. Dude, um, that's uh, my academic and, you know, when you, uh, uh, you get a lab and what have you, you're, you're strongly encouraged to look for patents and um, spin-offs and what have you. And, you know, I, I was very, very close to being on the other side of the fence because, you know, we had a, uh, an approach where we could, you know, we'd done the work mapping neural circuits and we were mm -hmm. getting it onto um, real-time um, prediction of what, what behavior is being expressed. And I would write proposals and grants that was all couched in um, being able to mitigate maladaptive behavior. All of the scientists who are working on this kind of thing are essentially siloed to, to such a degree that you guys don't even realize what you're working on and how it could be applied to human social behavior. Mm. Well, I, I, well I was as, just as thinking social... money, dude. Money. Exactly. <laughs> that was, well, was I mean, going to be it's, rich. It's, it's reasonable. It's I mean, it's it's your career. It's mm. it's how you it's how you get ahead. But it's the thing about it is that. You know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, this stuff is going to be applied to social engineering on a yeah. ridiculous, insane scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it, it's um, incredibly dangerous. And look, the sad the sad fact is, is that the only place that there's any ethical discussion is the same institutes that are kicking you in the ass to go and make these patents and start these spin-off companies. Right. Right. They give zero fucks about any ethics and what it means for human autonomy and sovereignty. Right. Zero. Right. Do, do you have a new technology? Great. We'll have a piece of that. Keep going. And then and the thing is, they make sure that they take the lion's share of any royalties that would come from any patents that you spin out. It, it, it was um, a sick system and yeah. just got sicker over the last few years. If you um, uh, look at, uh, for instance, um, uh, was Adam Curtis's documentary Hypernormalization, mm -hmm. where where he goes into detail about how essentially um, populists on both sides have been pushed into a kind of a state of hyper reality, mm. where we're engaging with a boogeyman that doesn't even really exist. Mm. Um, the real boogeyman is, here is managerialism. Yes, it is. It's the set of beliefs that you know that human behavior can can just be reduced to to game theory. Um, that you can that you can apply Nash equilibria and uh, fancy diagrams to human social relations, mm. and that you can just essentially use like like. Um, the same practices used in scientific management of like a factory floor and system cybernetics to alter human behavior on large scales. Yeah. That's yeah, you, the, you, the you problem present, with this. You present a pseudo algorithm that, of, of flow charts and um, boxes and decision trees and what have you. They love you for it. They, they, they'll throw money at you, right? B because they think that they've um, 
they've they've got another another way to yeah i like i like this hyper hyper reality concept right to using using hyper reality they have imprisoned a large portion of the world's population in a in a mental prison Mm. where where people believe that democracy is still a real thing it's yeah. it's i mean how can how can we say that democracy has any effect whatsoever on our living conditions when all real matters of, of import um regarding the economy and um and jobs and uh, our and compensation and so on are decided by supranational institutions that are are staffed by unelected bureaucrats yeah and no no one talks about that they they still try and sell you on um the left right paradigm and we've just seen that writ large in the in the us and in the last month and you know that that red wave that was supposed to be coming somehow magically didn't appear and it's all pointless they get people emotionally invested in the idea of voting but it, but if our elected representatives don't decide how we're employed and how how we're treated by our employers and how um how, and don't decide the balance of trade. If that's decided by by central bankers, if it's decided by the Bank of International Settlements and uh, the IMF and the World Bank and so on, um, then there's no point in voting. No. I mean, you're electing somebody who has no power, mm-hmm. someone who who's just a figurehead yeah. for those people. Yeah. And th- th- that's the very definition of uh, the deep state, except the deep state in this instance is, as you said, transnational and subject to zero, z- zero restraint. Zero, zero oversight, zero public scrutiny. Mm. They just, they, they would much rather prefer it. The thing about the, manage, the, the technocratic managerialist state is that they would much rather that you not even realize that they exist mm. because the the moment you start to kind of you know interrogate the problem the, the here of supranational power usurping our sovereignty um then you start to realize you know we're in a really bad way here yes we we've we've allowed these these um freaks in switzerland to take control of everything. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that's that's another little viper's nest that needs um, dousing with gasoline and and lying, let it burn. Right, we can't we can't have these organizations, or we can't concede the control that we are doing to these organizations. And the reason the reason why they are so hostile to populism and nationalism. Um, is because it it goes against their entire framework. They're, they are in order for their in order for managerialism to work at all, it has to be global. It has to touch mm-hmm. everything. It has to, it has to be nosy. Yeah. It has to snoop snoop into every single human process, every single social process, every economic process, every political process. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the moment you have a nation kind of, you know, embracing nationalism and withdrawing from the international system, then it ceases to be under the control of the managers. Yeah, which is why they're so vehemently against nationalism, except when it's uh, it suits their cause, and then uh, and then we can uh, literally applaud stunning and brave Nazis. Um, 
engaging right. in war crimes, right? The the juxtaposition between how how they treat citizens like myself, right? Who, you know, for a long time I was concerned. I didn't like the idea of the EU and sort of transnational organizations usurping the country. Naively back then, I thought that, you know, we would be able to sort of claw back some power. But even even Brexit just showed, no, nothing changed. Different, uh, <laughs> what's the saying? Different, uh, oh, I forget now. New boss, same as the old boss or whatever, something like that. Right. It goes, right? And um, nothing changed. And the, the the UK is still engaged in warmongering uh, in places it shouldn't be poking its business. I, I lay a lot of the blame for the um, Nord Stream pipe blowing up. I bet you that was um, British Royal Navy. I, 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 right. I, I actually not so sure it was the US. I think I think that was uh Britain. And probably um I've I've got a well I, I know why they're doing it, but at a surface level it makes no sense that the British should be involved in Ukraine. There's nothing there for Britain. Right? Um, um well there's nothing there for Britain, but there's definitely something there for the for the managerial overclass. Mm. Yes. And that is that is in in fact um, a giant money laundering center, that, which is really what it is. It's a way to, to funnel funds from our countries, from our coffers, right back into the pockets of their cronies. Yeah, and in I would just add to that um, organ harvesting. Ukraine is replete with it. And it's it's not enough for them to get uh, all the all the babies that are sucked out of women at Planned Parenthood. They they still need more, right? I guess stem cells aren't enough. They need adult organs. And um, I, I I was having this discussion with Ryan Dawson on Saturday, and, and you know, which which country do you hold up there as as some of the worst examples of where? Um, organ harvesting and trafficking is known to occur is it ukraine yes. or china and, right and, and and i guess you could say probably china is worse because it's it's state sanctioned to a much larger degree right look at ft look at the ftx collapse <laughs> ftx um were essentially being used as a middleman for money laundering operations and not, not only that, they funded the the together trial that yeah. discredited ivermectin. I know, right? It just doesn't get any worse. Like I was, I was trying to scan an article I had earlier, but right, the guy's brother, right, was part of um, some vaccine advocacy group. Um, I don't see it here. Oh, I'd have to. I'd have to really dive into the the article itself but i i, I mean i will do a, a stream about this but um it's if th this is just in your face um corruption and you you have to ask why that why they just let it collapse when they did and right. um i don't know maybe 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 they thought that they'd stymied the elections in the u.s enough and um I, I, 
I mean, we don't know the details in the background, but um, what it really is is they they want to eventually collapse Bitcoin and uh, and cryptocurrencies in preparation for a um, a transition to a central bank digital currency mm. of some type that's programmable that allows them to um, and entirely cashless that allows them to uh, set rations like to do to do rationing so that when people um, go to the grocery store and try and buy more than their their carbon allotments worth of steak for the month um, it, it denies their card steak you won't be getting any steak bro that's just for those uh, assholes flying into egypt on their private right? jets <laughs> you might get some some battery farm chicken right but uh yeah that's good that's At gonna the most be, yeah that's gonna be uh severely limited and... Have you seen those those uh, Leonardo of Biz animations? No, no. You haven't. Let's do it. I need to see a link. So... Uh, let me see if I can send you a link. But yeah, this this whole um, fiasco that's sort of taken place, and in, in the last, well. I don't know where where you sort of bookend it, and you know I like nine eleven as sort of like the beginning, right, of where where things really began, the accelerationism began. But yeah, all all those that wanted accelerationism, you've got it. It's coming for you right now, but it's <laughs> it, it it's on their terms, not yours. And you know I I really wish I had um good good solutions to that. And, you know, I guess, you know, building yeah. and decentralizing platforms like I'm trying to do is one well, way. Um, parallel society. Yeah. Parallel societies. You sort of got to be a little chameleon like in pretty uh, much uh, how we uh, live. All right. Let me let me bring this up. The way things are going. Um, there, oh, I want to play this first. It's <laughs> awesome. Fear is the path to the dark side. The fear of change, of progress. You, to defeat the Sith, eat the box. <laughs> Not this time, meat eaters! Insectors, consumers, <laughs> The global food shortages, the collapsing supply chains. We warned you about the climate crisis. And now you reap what you have sown. But there is still hope. Thanks again to science, we have a solution. Insects. A sustainable, equitable, and nutritious source of protein for a fraction of the carbon footprint of livestock. We can finally put an end to the wasteful practice of meat eating for good. So let's turn this crisis into an opportunity to bring equality to our food systems, to mandate social and cultural change. Be a net. Allegria art. Eat the bugs. <laughs>
This gets better. Suicide <laughs> Or he's allowed a window. Oh, progress. Contracts unlocked. Would you like to try a level six gig? Yes. Okay. Deliver a package from your local Amazon node to pod 512 and 165 Spider Man Road. I accept. Warning. This gig requires 100% of your collateral to be staked. Do you consent? I consent. very very close to um that type of system well uh, look at at um the ongoing, ongoing adoption of, of uh, smart, smart city, city technology, technology uh, in like singapore, singapore. Mm -hmm. and south, south korea's songdo international business district, district. district. This, this is actually what they're kind, kind of going, going for is something, something that's almost exactly like this, like this. Mm -hmm. um with, with constant, constant tracking, tracking of people's, people's movements, movements um, um 
CCTV cameras everywhere, AI is tracking people's and uh, categorizing objects like where they where they use shape recognition to know if it's like a car or a person. Um, they've got they've gotten to be so good now. Um, an AI can very easily tell someone's emotional state from their facial expression. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what we were doing, um, and you know, again, shamefully. What, what I would do was wrap it in, you know, so a big thing that we were aiming for was gambling and um, alcoholism, right? Because we we figured, you know, we thought that we had a good enough handle on those limbic pathways and you know, the data from the monkey showed that you could sort of interrupt the behavior well enough that it might you might not stop it but the idea being that you would give someone reflection for pause particularly if you could associate the brain state and you know again you, you what would you tie it into oh he's heading towards the bookies um he's heading towards the off license you zap and um you see if you can interrupt the behavior that way and I was all in on that ship, right? <laughs> that was, that right, was, right. That was the next, uh, the next step for deep brain stimulation. That's, That's the, the thing, thing is, is if you have access to the, the limbic system like, like that, that, you, you essentially have Pavlovian control of human behavior. behavior. Mm. Yeah, and this is not something that's, that's hypothetical either. It's something where they've actually done it uh, with, with DBS electrodes, uh, therapeutically. Uh, like that case of that one woman uh, with like um, treatment-resistant depression. Um, and um, they gave her this brain pacemaker that looks for signs of anxiety from the amygdala and then zaps the nucleus accumbens to produce... Um, oh, is there an echo? Uh, no, no. In, in the video, video some, wait, someone's saying there's an echo in the video. There, there might have been because I was relaying it so you could listen to it, but um, mm. the, it, it's off now. It should, it should be fixed. Um, the, right. uh, the, yeah, the, the ground technology is there and the, the neuroanatomy and the neuroscience is there. The, the, the one barrier at the moment is that in order to get a DBS probe in, there's a degree of precision required. Plus, you've got to crack open the skull. You've got to. Yeah, we got a lot, of, a lot of people here in chat saying that we got a, a really bad echo. Uh, yeah, it it should stop. Um, it should should stop. Um, just let it catch up, and uh, it's good now. Yeah, it's um, good now. Yeah, um, and so the. Uh, and so there is that sort of constraint, but the, the, in China they didn't have that constraint, right? They they work they could literally <laughs> mandate you to go to go and get these um, DBS devices if, if yeah. for for social socially I don't know, um, yeah again maladaptive behaviors. Um, the thing the thing about it is that. Um... The way that um, that DBS electrode therapy, um, the way they envisage this, um, as you know, I mean, like so something where you can like take a a, um, a signal from the nucleus from the uh, excuse me from the the um, uh, from the amygdala and uh, and then 
like stimulate the nucleus accumbens uh, to produce a sense of euphoria to counteract that. Um, really, if we if we think about that for a moment, that wouldn't that basically encourage like maladaptive behaviors in somebody? I mean, this is something where you're activating the reward pathways mm. um, due to anxiety. Like that, I mean, a device like that could could cause someone to kind of, you know, just just reflexively without even realizing it, uh, seek out situations that cause them anxiety so the so that the pacemaker right. um produces reward bit, bit of open conditioning just for <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly the, the conditioning could could cause them to like you know want to go on roller coaster rides more often or, or <laughs> do like risky behavior like maybe um drunk driving uh at 100 miles per hour down the road something that would ordinarily um stress someone out now it's giving them euphoria well, you know, so what we found was that you could you could stimulate that. And I can't tell from the monkey what it's internally feeling. We could only ever. Um... <laughs> Someone's in the in the stream in the in the chat. They said wing wing suiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh... I don't I don't. Uh, well, the, the idea with what we would do is that it would interrupt the um the the goal driven behavior right so you know going to going to the off license going to the book is is a goal driven behavior and that that's part of the um motivational reward saliency pathways that are that are dopaminergically linked and well, what it is is they want to be able to to reach into people's heads and alter their level of satiety at any given moment so they don't ha don't have goals mm. or rather so that they're satisfied without having any goals yeah and this is um, this is what we saw in the monkey like i said i don't know whether the monkey is euphoric enough but it was enough to interrupt a goal-driven behavior where, where they would they would be highly motivated because they, they, they the only time they could get water was in the experimental booth right and so they would sit there for hours and hours doing thousands and thousands of button presses to make sure that they got um, their needed uh, water supply for the day and you could you could interrupt that now the problem with it was that it would it, it, it could be successful two three four times but somehow after it the, the novelty would wear off and they would just carry on doing their the the, the motor the natural quote-unquote behavior and and ignore the stimulus coming in so we're still a long way from having the fine mapping and resolution required to be able to um finally tune someone's behavior but you know i <laughs> you've got you got to start somewhere right and you know this this idea of being able to um treat addictive behaviors is um it's a big area of research and you know yeah we there is experimental evidence and if you can if if you can show experimental evidence in an objective system like a primate 
then you're on solid footing to get the grants and um, patent applications that these institutes are so uh, interested in. And what it looks like to me is that, is that they're after something that could be used for mass pa uh, pacification. Mm. Yeah. And if you have populist uprisings from one end of the plant to the other against um, the globalism, against um, shrinking opp opportunities and the loss of upward mobility, then and if the managerial caste don't want there to be any upward mobility, if they want there to be like a, a essentially a, a hereditary caste system where people are just locked into whatever class they're born into, um, then it stands to reason that the way they would they would seek to cement this is by manipulating the human mind so that people are not motivated, they're not ambitious, mm. so they're basically just, you know, are satisfied with that little kind of pod trivi trivial things the, the, the pod and, that we just looked at on that animation and living in a pod eating cricket paste and so on <laughs> cricket paste cut that's so gross well i i found out a interesting factoid the other day um someone someone else mentions uh, like soma from brave new world yeah exactly well exactly um but uh, i mean and then there's like like g23 paxilon hydrochlorate from serenity uh serenity oh the movie the the movie adaptation of firefly all right yeah yeah um of course that's how you get reavers but how you get what <laughs> the reavers the well i mean what happened was it kind of malfunctioned and then like something like a tenth of a percent of the the people who were under the effect of this this drug um instead became like psychotically aggressive and uh, go back and watch that uh that's awesome watch that movie but <laughs> the uh, are, are we are we at a position right now where where all their plans and machinations are, are rolling out as they as they predicted and wanted i don't think so right, right. and i don't i don't know what caused them to go down this pathway i'd have waited another 10 years Right. right. You would just uh, just have a few more people who were born pre-internet die off. <laughs> What's weird to me is how they seem to be rushing all this stuff through and really exposing themselves to risk. Right. Because I mean, exposing their plans. Yeah. Uh, to such a degree, um, because they're opening themselves up to retaliation on a on a huge scale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and really honestly they had they had all the cards in their hands they i mean they didn't they didn't need to push so hard they, yeah they just they needed to wait 10 years but so, yeah they didn't need to they didn't need to push society to the breaking point all they had to do was be patient so it it, it there has to be some other reason why they're rushing yeah and i well i could think of a bunch of different different reasons but um you know part of Part of my go-to, you know, shout out to Who's Tonic Life, Mark Kulak, um, that they, he's got this premise that um, we're at the point of sort of peak genetic diversity right mm. now. And beyond this, you know, particularly if 
um, if you take Western first world countries as a as a metric, the the number of offspring drops precipitously, particularly as they get as they sort of force women into the workplace. Then right. it's a requirement to have two wage earners to keep a roof over your head, and um, it, it may be that because they've automated the warfare so much, the algorithms driving the warfare, that it was it was a computational decision to flick the switch when they did. And yeah. maybe maybe Trump was a catalyst in that. Maybe maybe they thought he was such an existential danger to um, exposing um, their long-term goals that they thought that they had no other choice. And so we found we find ourselves in the post SARS uh, pandemic world. And it, it isn't so much Trump; it's rather it's the um, the populist sentiments that he that his presidency unearthed. Mm. Um, it what really I mean what I think they're afraid of is the larger mass of people that are coming forward now that are like, hey, why have all our opportunities dried up? Why, why is it that we're running this massive trade deficit? Why is it that, that free trade has allowed all of our, all these good paying factory jobs to, to move over to China? Um, people are wondering, you know, like, I mean, and, and it's, it's very, it's, it's actually, it's very reasonable for people to wonder this, like where, where is the opportunity gone? Uh, because, because, you know, um, our, our parents, you know the the last generation um last few generations anyway um they had where they could just you know come right out of high school with um just graduate from high school and go work a factory job for for a few years and then they'd have enough to make a down payment on a home yes. whereas this generation um are going to college they're they're getting like Fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars in college debt, um, th to the point where um, they're going to be paying it off for like thirty years. Yeah, they're, they're like like pretty much most of the time they're working. Yeah, like before they retire, they're they're never actually going to to be able to pay it off. I mean, pay it off until they're like just a few years away from retirement, um, and. These kids are getting these degrees in communications, in business management, and um, underwater basket weaving, whatever. Um, and they're expect they are expecting to have good paying jobs right out of college, but they don't exist. Mm. As yeah. they, I mean, at least not for those degrees, um, not for the, those kind of easier like degree paths. They they are um, these kids are ending up asking me if i'd like fries with that yes yeah and and those those jobs are disappearing as well because that that will all get automated away just as just as a little anecdote here you know occasionally for a, a treat just so waifu doesn't have to cook we we would go to a chain restaurant you know there's not a whole bunch around here in, in japan it's called gusto and um you know it's cheap food but it's kid friendly and you know got kids menu and what have you and before i went to the u.s we 
we hadn't been there in a while, but we turned up and um, <laughs> literally they've got little fucking robots um, shuttling around <laughs> the, uh, the restaurant and you, you have to place your order on a little touchpad. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's so, so there was no wait staff. There was one woman whose role was basically, I, I guess, just um, seat you at your table, clean up the tables after you're gone. And then you did the work. You gave your order. And then this little right. stupid robot wheeled it over. And, and, you know, the kids found it sort of amusing and stuff. But I, I said to my wife, I'm never coming back here again. Why, why, yeah. why, sh why, sh why should we, you know, I, I came here so that you, my wife didn't have to work. My wife has to do all the touchpad things because it's all in Japanese. Right. right. So she's still, she's still having to work. And the, the thing about it is, you know, back in the, if you look at uh, post-World War II America, um, post-World War II America was basically the envy of the entire world. Um, industrial powerhouse beyond imagining graduated more more stem degrees than basically anyone else um, and the the technological renaissance this enabled throughout the 60s and 70s it was huge but but then like something happened in the past you know within the past several decades where the the uh, Henry Kissinger class. happened, sir. He's he's exactly. Henry Kissinger <laughs> happened. Henry Henry Kissinger is a big new Brzezinski, uh, and uh, Richard Nixon happened. Mm. And what happened was that all that prosperity just kind of dried up. Mm. Um, America be it became an an R and D powerhouse and still is, but most of the stuff that we invent here isn't produced here it's mm. built in china yeah, yeah. and the, the reason why they do that is because um the i mean the cost of labor is a fraction what it is here i mean like a like a factory a, a decent paying factory job in the u.s could have been like oh 28 dollars an hour um in china around around 2010 it's like 50 cents an hour it's a it's a fraction. Yeah. I mean, just and even after like a few raises, like throughout the 2010s, Chinese factory workers are still making like like maximally like two dollars an hour, four dollars an hour. That low. Um, yes. And they were working mandatory overtime, 16 hours a day. Yeah. And uh, little kids like 16, 17 year olds mm. um passing out on assembly lines um spending all day sticking like pulling peeling the the feet off of for computer mice off of uh pads and affixing them to the bottom of like an intellimouse explorer or whatever yeah yeah um well and, and non-stop for for 16 hours straight thousands of these like it like a human robot yeah and, and being paid like f something like fifth, like literally slave slavery wages, and not not only that, these kids, um, <laughs> uh, they had these curfews essentially, where, where these kids were forced to stay in the in the the uh, the factory dormitories, mm -hmm. um, 
because if they went outside, you know, they'd be locked out. Mm. And if they went outside to get something to eat down the street, that was cheaper than buying something at the company's cafeteria. And so basically these companies lock these kids in and they force them to spend most of their paycheck at the company's own cafeteria. So a large portion of their paycheck goes right back into the company. That's so just, like, just like uh, company stores um, in coal mining towns mm. in the U.S. way back in the day. So, so dark, bro. You know, like Tennessee Ernie Ford, like you load the 16 tons. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and part of that mechanism was um, making sure that you, um, you, you do stay in debt. And that's that's how they've managed to, I would argue, despite the industrial capacity being gutted from the West, they've they've encouraged a debt based lifestyle to to maintain any quality of lifestyle. America, with our R and D centric economy, um, I mean, most of the highest paying jobs are a tiny, tiny fraction of the total size of the economy. Yeah, and it's and the rest of it is like is services, it's service industry, um, bozo work. It's it's like I mean, literally like dog washers and and overnight pizza delivery men and uh, like friggin' um, um, it's all just nonsense. It's Bull, it bullshit, bullshit jobs. Exactly, bullshit jobs. Providing providing services for a tiny, tiny fraction a tiny, of like white collar workers who do all this R and D, and the 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 people who manage those people and the managers of the managers who don't really do anything um, <laughs> of any import. Um, all of most, I mean, a large portion of our of our workforce in this country is just services for those people um and um if it's not services then it's um it's agriculture it's uh amazon um, well yeah like amazon warehouse workers mm. um tr uh, long haul tr uh, like truck drivers uh you know sending produce to supermarkets and stuff like that so the thing about it what we're seeing here with all this this talk about like servitization like switching private property over to like a subscription model mm -hmm. kind of a thing mm -hmm. things that you the people used to buy instead now you lease it um the thing about it and and all the way they're they're buying up all this farmland and um the way that they are um they plan on essentially like like um engage in, in like rentierism um, just just collecting rents on on, on all this land. Um, what they're really doing, what they're attacking in America, is ruralism because it's because it's politically opposed to the interests of the globalists. They're they're attacking the heartlands of America, um, the suburban and rural dwellers who, you know, who live outside the hubs of financial and R and D power. The big, the big liberal coastal cities that produce all this funny money um, off of uh, essentially dual, dual use tech. Yes, 
Well, I mean, a large portion of it is financial paper shuffling that produces nothing of any value to society whatsoever. But, how how um, dare you, sir? I was all invested in FTX. That was a, I was going to be right. a winner. It's all just speculation on complete nonsense. It's just garbage. Uh, like, take, for instance, the, um, um, the subprime lending crisis in, uh, here in the U.S., like back in, was it 2008? Um, that came about. And the funny thing is, is that uh, like municipal, I mean, like governments in like, I, don't know, I think it was like Iceland and some parts of like Scandinavia or something, were actually using these as hedges to fund like public works. Mm. Yeah, they were, they were speculating on American real estate and subprime lending and, and derivatives thereof to fund their infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. So when they collapse, it's like, oh, oh holy crap, how are we going to pay for um, roads and, uh, and rail? Yeah, it's uh, so, and, and it's and just got worse. It's just got uh... all these um, subprime loans packaged up into derivatives uh, essentially the, the the existence of those financial instruments is to, uh, the, i mean the whole point of those types of financial instruments is to conceal mm. just how uh bad the risky, risky they yeah. are yeah. is yeah. to conceal their risk and the liability that you take on by by investing in things like that yeah but they just you know i had uh I had a um, glimmer of hope when I was in the U.S., dude. And there's a, you know, it was refreshing to sort of see the resistive mindset that's imbued in well all the Americans that I met when I was there. And um, if if there's anywhere that's in a position to be able to push back, it it it, it is the United States. And um, I hope, I pray that it's a sort of bloodless type, I don't know if revolution is the right word, but transition, I guess. Yeah. Where pe people... Well, the key is to, to, I mean, the first thing people have to do is recognize the threat. Mm. That's, the, that's the first thing, because the threat has taken i mean has gone to great lengths to try and make itself invisible mm. yes um and because it is tied up in all these supranational institutions that most people have never even heard of mm. you think that the average long-haul trucker has heard of the uh the bank of international settlements and the imf and the world bank maybe some of them have sure but you know, as a lot of these people are railing against globalist institutions without even realizing, you know, how they're composed. What, I mean, who the responsible parties actually are and the names of these organizations. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like they're just they're kind of like just shaking their fist at the cloud. And it's like you, these people need to actually organize and need to name the threat. Yeah. And, um, well, you, you, could, you could argue we're all sort of railing or tilting at windmills somewhat but the, the the question comes down to what's what's the what's the most peaceful navigable path out of this very very dangerous spiral right now 
and you know you you have to decentralize everything we have to make sure that we can maintain comms and um you know build it's very difficult yes the reason why that's so difficult is because everything around us is 100% reliant on um cheap number one cheap chinese slave labor number two just in time logistics and number three managers of managers of managers of managers these people have built this extremely complex web of relationships that is that's basically reliant on the practices of managerialism just for it to work at all mm-hmm. if you want to talk about having a parallel society and decentralizing it's like you know then, then how are you going to take advantage of economies of scale then how are you going to feed millions of people mm-hmm. how are you going to provide for the for telecommunications and so on and so forth it's it's a, the, th- the kind of thing is that it, what they've done is they've made it so you can't live without them mm-hmm. yeah and because of that it's like any solution that you could propose to the problem of the globalists um, almost inevitably starts to look like something that they would propose. Uh, it, it's basically, you basically just take the, the reins away from them and now you, you have all this, the same problems. So in, someone, in, someone in my chat has just said, not sure it will change without violence. Look, I, I would argue, Jack, that this, the system is incredibly fragile. Right. Just just look at the lengths they'll go to censor me and I'm nobody. Right. And um, they they cannot they cannot stand the slightest criticism or um, dissent leaking out. And I would make the argument that we've never had so much dissent leaking out as we have right now. And so that that's why I've, I've sort of got hope. In, in in this particular environment because uh, as Sparkus was just saying it's accelerated massively so they've gone all in right there's no going back for them and the simple fact is there's more of us than them and once all that managerial class realize that all those sketchy financial instruments that they think they've built their cushy pensions on are literally worth nothing they're they're going to join in too and <laughs> they they've got children as well but we the hope reason the reason why i hope that this doesn't sink into violence and civil war and all of that is because if if that were to happen the responsible parties would simply go underground and nobody would be able to even touch them it would essentially be a bloodbath of the working class yes that's not what we need what we need is for the is for the ringleaders to be rounded up and face a court yeah and which is what i'm what i put my efforts into and you know it's why it's why i don't sit here um inciting uh violence look i i'm all for protest yes get out and protest you know we saw in canada again how fragile they were when the truckers decided that they were gonna um shut the country down and and what did that last a month yeah and we've got um what's what's ryan call him son of castro uh basically in in a court again this week lying to the public about uh how 
these truckers were using children as shields and basically embellishing everything that went on. And, you know, people see that the emperor has no clothes at this point. And if, even if we just manage to break off 1% that sort of say, okay, we're going to do everything that we can to spike the big data acquisition, managerialism, control networks. Um, that's a win in my book. You can't save everyone um, and just try and, you know, look after those that um, do do make the, the jump, I guess. And, um, you know, sometimes making that jump can be a, a scary... Uh, scary proposition, particularly yeah. if if you're, yeah, you know, they've they've got you hooked up with student debts and mortgages and what have you. Well, and look at the, look at the culture war in the U.S. over the past oh ten ten twenty years, and the way things have been going with that, and especially how it ramped up after Occupy Wall Street. Mm. Um, they were, I mean, I think that the overclass were very very scared. Um, that there was going to to actually be a populist revolt um, against their policies that have led to recession after recession, credit credit crunch after credit crunch, b- bubbles bursting uh, every every decade or so. It's like people people are really pissed off because especially the younger generation who have missed a lot of life milestones and haven't been able to buy a house or or do anything their their parents did at their age, and. Uh, that what people don't realize is that all this this real estate around us is essentially being used as a store of value by foreign institutional investors. It's like I mean, literally, it's nobody can afford to buy what is it like a uh, two thousand square foot little tiny uh, cheesy cracker box house for half a million dollars. Mm. Nobody can afford that. It's ridiculous. It, it's not, I mean, these houses are not being used as houses. They're being used as gold, yeah. essentially. They're being used as a store of value. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's all just made up nonsense. I mean, there's no reason why we should have a shortage of housing in America. Uh, we have the industrial capacity. We have the general contractors and the ability to, to build uh, any arbitrary amount of housing that we want. The the reason why we don't is because it would drive down the price. And so, and to people in the chat that sort of, you know, Sandra saying mortgage thirty years here. Um, look, sell and move somewhere that's much much cheaper, right? That that would be my advice. You know, that's what I did. I bought a shitty broken down house. It took every penny that I had, but. I, I managed to live a very, very um, meager but stable existence. And I'm not subject to a lot of the control mechanisms that a lot of people have... have I, I, I guess a lot of people are tricked into it, right? I, I, this I'll, I'll concede. But you, you don't have to go that way. There's no... You don't have to live in the city, right? Right. There, there are other ways to get around this problem. And, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to having a community that you, you can 
be part of. That's that's you know family and community. That's one of the driving forces behind, or, or, or the the necessities towards spiritual fulfillment. And we're lucky right now that we've got the technology where all across the globe people are tuning in to listen. Both myself and Spartacus lay out systematically what what the problems are that we're facing. And I'm telling you, the solutions are, are within most people's grasp, right? And yeah, you may have to let go of the um, fancy job that you think imbues you with some sort of self-esteem. But what cost is that job? What cost is that debt? Yeah. That, would, that would be my questions to you. And I, I, I do think that if, if most people really sat down and thought about what it is that they need, um, you, you'd be surprised at how little you can get by on. And have, pe have people seen this this paper on um, on nanotransducers for wireless neuromodulation on Science Direct on El Sevier? Uh, yeah, let's 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 bring that up. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of go out. I, on, I sent on you the link. Yeah, let me just um, pull that up. So this this is the um, some of the new neuroscience tools that are um, well that they've been around for a while, but um, the idea that you can non-invasively trigger neural activity through well acoustic, thermal, ultrasound type um, uh, exactly. This is this kind of work underpins a lot of what DARPA have been trying to do mm. with the um, next generation non-surgical uh, neurotechnology type mm. platforms. So Which um, I will just quickly add, um, if you want to, I'll put your graph in the chat. Um, go to Spartacus's um, very very awesome um, network diagram. I called it a Venn diagram. Got told off last time. <laughs> um but um oops, let me see if i can find the n3 program on here are you, are you still seeing my um, screen? i believe it should be on the right yeah that's kind of where i remember it being but n3 there it is so you can see we kind of what branches off from, from it there you can see that um mm. um the head of Battelle's team, or, or I believe former head of Battelle's team, uh, Gaurav Sharma, um, was formerly part of DITRA's blood-brain barrier program to investigate um, viruses, proteins, peptides, etc., that could penetrate or, or weaken or permeabilize the blood-brain barrier. And I, I found this uh, kind of striking because SARS-CoV-2 spike uh, S1 subunits have been proven to permeabilize the blood-brain barrier. Mm. Um, yeah. And I mean, just it's, I mean, there's no question about it. They absolutely do. They, if you introduce um, SARS-CoV-2 S1 um, into somebody's body, uh, it will permeabilize their blood-brain barrier and allow other substances to, to bypass it more easily. So, um, in theory but the reason why i find that so striking is because the that's the same defense that reduction agency 
that has been funding Eco Health Alliance mm. and uh, their work as well. So, um, so and th- th- this could be a um, next generation iteration of the technology that I would mess around with, which you know, which would require. You know, if you want to hit deep limbic regions, you know, you're in a human, you're, you're talking about an electrode that's sort of 20 centimeters long. And, um, you know, you've got to tunnel wires through the neck and have a pacemaker. Oh, no, 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 these things, these things are so much more advanced than that. It's not even funny. Um, the, and that's similar to like, like Neuralink, right? You know, you're talking about like microelectrodes and stuff mm. that, that sort of technology has been around, um, decades for decades. Like since the, I mean, they were talking about the, the, the stuff from like back in the nineties now mm-hmm. and Neuralink's electrodes are supposed to be like much, much thinner than a human hair. Um, but the, the nanotransducers that they're investigating for, inst- uh, for instance, uh, Battelle's Brainstorms program, uh, those are supposed to be something like 20 nanometers across, little little tiny core and, sh- and shell nanoparticle um, that's smaller than a virus by far. Um, and the idea behind it, and this, this isn't e- uh, even a nanomachine, um some people like like hear about this and they, they think like oh nanobots and stuff but it's it's actually it's not it's it is we're talking what we're talking about here is a nanoparticle that is very very uh basic it doesn't have any any, any machinery of any kind inside it um it's it's literally just a like basically like a, a conductive nanoparticle and the point of this is to sensitize brain tissue to wireless energy um so you can have you know electromagnetic energy uh, rf ultrasound um infrared light anything that can get through the skull um go in energize this nanotransducer and then the, and then the nanotransducer in turn activates um membrane bound ion channels to change the membrane potential of that cell yeah so yeah and that's it- something that and the reason why I find this so alarming is because that's not something that can that is just specific to neurons. This is something where if you were to use these on someone's like heart muscle cells, for instance, um, you could you could force like a massive uptake of of calcium ions or something, and then have make them go down with a heart attack. Yeah, this this could be used to kill somebody. Yeah, well, DBS can kill people, dude. <laughs> right, right. I, I can attest to that. But the well, that too, I mean, you can use it to attack, um, for for instance, the brainstem mm. and the cardiorespiratory center, and then shut and shut down somebody's heart or their or their breathing from there. And you know, the the important point here is that these these programs are ongoing, and they're not receiving any degree of public scrutiny beyond no nothing at all it's like nobody has any idea what these people are working on Mm. Uh... it's it's shocking i mean look at um look up uh battelle's brainstorms and uh rice's moana program and they're, they're already performing experiments with like fruit flies and stuff where they've actually they've been able to manipulate 
the fly's brain and change its behavior using a magnetic field mm -hmm. after introducing these nanoparticles into its brain. They've already done, they're already at the point now where this isn't something that's just on paper. They're actually doing in vivo studies in animals. Um, and granted, a, a human isn't a fruit fly, of course, but this is still um, the, 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 in, the intent is there, right? Yes. And um, like I said, the, the only way that you would know about these programs is through the PR departments of the institutions in which they're being done at best. Right, the the stuff being done uh, uh, under defense contracting. Yes, you're not you're not going to find um, anything of um, public public record that would that would really lay out what it is that they're doing. I didn't get a hit for. Battelle. I just I just sent you I just sent you another link. Um, Feds fund creation of headset for high-speed brain link. <laughs> That's Rice's Moana. And um, I'd say that between the six, the, the six teams working on N3, um, Rice and Battelle's teams are the ones that are, that are probably the furthest ahead. So there's, there's this, and then there's also this. I just sent you another link. The way um, Battelle's brainstorms uh, system is supposed to work, um, you have these little magnetoelectric nanotransducers that, that go in, into the brain tissue. Then you have the, the subject wear a, a helmet mm. that, um, this hasn't been tested in humans yet, probably won't be for years, but um, unless they're doing it already, but mm. um, and we just don't know about it. But, um, the way this works is essentially it turns the human brain into like a, a Wacom pen kind of a deal. It's like you have this, you have, you would have um, a, a helmet that contains like a printed circuit board um, or, or like, or flexible circuitry that produce like, like closely coupled like B fields um, to, to power these little tiny um, nanotransducers by magnetic resonant coupling. Mm. So it's, it's the same exact technology that, that powers like a Wacom pen, like a pen digitizer that people use to do digital art with. Mm. It's, um, it's the same way, um, like pretty much any like wireless induction, like close coupled induction device works. So, mm. um, I mean, the, as a sort of counter to this, uh, I mean, I'm looking at their little, uh, nanotransducer there um I, I i would wonder about permanence in the brain exactly uh, they that is something that they have um definitely stated as a goal for the n3 program is reversibility they want to be able to to, to um chelate these things out of the brain uh, when they're no longer needed or so they can be replaced with a, a next generation model if necessary and again, you know, what ethics board is is sitting there and allowing, um, or, or or just thinking that this is the way to go? Because you know, this, getting back to the managerial managerialism, right? Yes. But you're going to have to put on your helmet and. Um, 
Well, that's only for um, for like near field. If you if you have a uh, an nanotransducer that that responds to far field RF, mm. um, which of course would you know cause a lot more issues with the brain with um, RF heating because of the sheer amount of energy that would be required. Um, then, in theory, you could probably use a five G base station to to power these. Um, because 5G base stations actually have phased array antennas and they're capable of beam forming and, and MIMO and they uh, can concentrate wireless energy in very, very small um, volumes of space, relatively speaking. They could hit this, like a man's, a man's size target or, the, or a target the size of someone's head within maybe 100 yards. Um, so we're talking about something now where potentially within oh maybe 10 years or so we'll start to see um essentially like a wireless smart grid like a control grid that that uses implanted nanotransducers of this type um to render people docile um on a on a large on a societal scale well and what, that's, what, so, that's something that 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 they could probably do by about 2030 or 2040 the way i the way i see it i'm, I'm looking the at their setup here and you know it's all in um dishes uh culture plates but you can see the magnetic coil here and um you know the, again my my concern right now is the it's the fact that the, the intent is there and the, the enemy, for want of a better expression, right. have have shown that they're willing to go to any lengths to achieve their their goals. And yes. um, of they, course... They don't need to... I mean, there's absolutely no reason why they should be allowed to have this sort of technology without, like, public scrutiny on a massive scale. Mm. Yeah. The, the the fact that this has gone unreported in the media is just shocking to me. Mm. Check this out. I'm sending you a, a video um, on YouTube from Rice University um, regarding Moana. Uh, the title of the video is Wireless Linkage of Brains May Soon Go to Human Testing. This video was posted um, in the middle of oh, wait, the beginning of last year. All right, let's have a watch. And let's all have a look. This project started because the government was interested in developing better ways for us to connect to the brain. So we have this massive amount of data coming in, massive amount of data trying to go out. And they've been thinking, how can we make it more efficient for us to communicate? Normally, when we think about tapping into people's brains, they're like, whoa, hold on a minute. Like, I don't want to have some yeah, kind of hold on a minute, buddy. microchip or something like that. Um, and it's really not a, a viable way forward if we're just talking about a healthy subject or a healthy person, a healthy soldier trying to control his or her drone better. And so, given the fact that we want to be able to communicate more quickly with our external device, we don't want to have surgery. Can we come up with a non-surgical way, an external device, a helmet, a hat, that would allow us to capture signals from the brain and stimulate the brain as though we were sitting in front of a monitor? And that's the big idea, this non-surgical neural interface. So it sounds a little wacky. Is this, is this even possible? And so we began um, by simply looking at what are the physical processes we could use? What are the techniques we, that might give us the ability to communicate with the brain through the skull? So we started this in, in a very exploratory phase. And we looked at how we might be able to use magnetic fields 
and how we might be able to use light. Both of these things can penetrate the skull. And we wanted to understand if signals from the magnetic field and from light would allow us to record and stimulate the brain. As the magnet turns on, the flies are stimulated, so we're working to stimulate their brain. Uh, using nanoparticles that I've already injected into the flies. So when people hear about programs that are designed to build a brain interface, particularly programs funded by the government, people naturally get concerned. And what I want to make clear is that the systems we're developing are really designed to help patients. You know, the long-term vision is that maybe these Fuck these assholes, right? And look, let me let me tell you folks, right? All of it wrapped up in, uh, oh, we're here to help you. Um when they come and tell you that, right? Lock and fucking load, right? Right, right. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I, I, I can tell you, I was front. I was on the other side, and I I would wrap all kinds of uh, dangerous shit up in that language. Holy shit! And look, this this dude looks about fucking twenty five years old. <laughs> what what fucking ethical framework has he been able to build through his adversity adverse ridden lifestyle this this has been a pampered little baby put into a position where he's dealing with some of the most dangerous technologies that are out there holy yeah. shit <laughs> right, well, let's let's see what else he has to say i'll just help, help people who are um, healthy individuals who might want to have a better way to control a, a drone or um, other autonomous vehicles. But most immediately what we're thinking about are ways that we can help patients who are blind. For example, individuals who have lost ability to see, what scientists have been able to show is that if, if I stimulate parts of the brain that are associated with vision, those patients can get a sense of vision even though their eyes no longer work. And so the technology that we're developing now are technologies to stimulate the brain in specific ways. And specifically, we're stimulating the parts of the sensory system so that you can recover a little bit of your sense of vision. And playing that forward, what this might mean um, for people in the private sector, people in the military, this would be an alternative to your display. Yeah, just, uh, just a private sector and military, nothing to worry about there, folks. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we went from blind people to your fucking oppressors. Right, right. Keep going. Hilarious. And so the, so the idea, idea is that we would have some kind of a helmet that would, that would be able to uh, stimulate your brain in such a way that you would be able to see as though you had a display in front of you, a heads-up display, so to speak, that would be um, uh, activating the parts of your brain associated with vision. Enable you to go and uh, kill dissidents. That bit easier. <laughs> go, yes. You don't have to flop out the laptop to control that drone. Exactly. And now you have the quad rotor just being controlled by your mind, and you have a, like, essentially a, a bird's eye view right inside your head without any display goggles. <laughs> just or, so... or at least that's the way they're selling it. <laughs> this is it's mind blowing to me, and like I said, I'm glad I'm glad I'm out of that system, man, because I I would have it, it would have been very very easy for me. It would have been me sat there, and <laughs> I was. I was... Right. Oh, she is ahead of these fuckers. <laughs> I've I've sent another link um, to I, I believe you've probably seen this this PDF before um, sent it to you before. It's the um, it's on GovTribe. Um, DARPA's broad agency announcement: next generation non-surgical neurotechnology, uh, dated March twenty third, twenty eighteen, where they go into detail about the technology that they that they're after. 
they want something that has two-way communication with the brain, something that um, can they can reach single neuron resolution of less than 50 mi uh, cubic micrometers, um, just teeny tiny uh, levels of resolution. Um, they they want it to um, to not just be able to stimulate brain tissue, but also to be able to read out, to be able to determine what a given neuron is doing at any moment in time. Mm -hmm. They want that they want the technology to be something that's non-invasive, that does not require anything like Neuralink, where you're drilling a hole in someone's skull and resecting the the dura, uh, which is very is. very invasive. Um, what they want La. is something that's that can be injected, <laughs> inhaled, you ingested. Had enough? Um, and then it can reach the brain either by a viral vector or by a self-assembly approach. Um, and these nanotransducers are so small that in theory, if you, if you um, doped them with like transfection tags or put them in lipid nanoparticles or something, mm -hmm. you could slip them into brain cells directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and have them reside inside in the intracellular space look folks so. we're, we're we're a long way from this technology rolling out but again it's the intent and the intent yes the um but just just read this fucking paragraph here dude DARPA is soliciting innovative proposals to revolutionize the non-surgical bi-directional neural interface state-of-the-art high-resolution single neuron or neuronal ensemble neural interfaces are invasive requiring surgical implantation of medical or silicon-based electrodes into brain tissue on the surface of the brain current high-resolution neural interfaces are not a feasible solution for the able-bodied warfighter no mention of blind people there or people who've been in car accidents for fucking nope. soldiers nope. <laughs> for the jackboot that's gonna for come <laughs> Shit. and the thing is they are promoting this as if this is something that could that um soldiers could use to control a drone mm. or to, to gather intelligence or to, to communicate more effectively with other soldiers this reminds me of like the um if people have, if anyone in the, in the comments have played uh like metal gear solid 4 uh, this reminds me of the the SOP system, the Sons of the uh, the Patriot system, or whatever it was, where they had essentially soldiers hive minded together and and who who could like share mm -hmm. sensory information between each other's brains to some extent. Well, mm. which is and all act as one organism kind which of a is thing. Basically, kind of like the system that the F thirty five and Raptor has, right? Right. So they have this. I, I'm not sure how it works, but essentially the helmet that they wear allows them to sort of have like 360 degree vision to see of, through the fuselage. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. have like a like a um, um, electro optical, uh, you know, like you have like cameras on the outside, or mm. or like a, or maybe a tiny EO turret. I'm not, I actually don't think they have they have like an EO turret on those, but. Um, and you you could you could turn your head, and the camera will actually give you like an augmented reality view of what you'd see if you could see through the fuselage. Yeah, yeah. So and that's 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 where a lot of these things are going. So like for instance, if um, a soldier, let's say like a tanker or some someone in like a like a future M1 Abrams or something for like like um, a, a decade in the like in the future, um, had this um, brain computer interface. 
um, without having any any headset, any goggles on, they could just have like a like a vision of what's outside the tank projected directly into their visual cortex or something like that. Yeah, let's say but at, at least that's. That's how DARPA are trying to sell it. And networked, so you're getting the intel from um, all, all the other, I don't know, forward operating um, troops. And um, it, it, it's very, very, very dystopian because um, the uh, swap warfighter for police officer. Right. Right. And... Um, and then that police officer has got a pack of those little Boston Dynamic um, yes. creepy dogs. That's spot. <laughs> yeah, right? It just it can go legging it after you and uh, zap you with a taser or uh, what have you. Um, and like I say, it's, do I think um, the current... It's much, much worse than that. Look at, for instance, I'm going to send you this other article that's that's even more disturbing um, than than that one. Um, in in Springer Link, entitled "Wired Emotions: Ethical Issues of Effective Brain Computer Interfaces," and when they speak of effect, they're talking about like emotional states. Emotional, yeah. So this is our um, covert moral covert moral bio enhancement. Exactly, covert moral bioenhancement. Um, but if if they apply that to soldiers and police, you know, you could make it make it so that that the jackboots don't feel any guilt over mm. their actions. You, they they could be, feel basically they could be, be they could be fed euphoria while they're fucking caving someone's skull in. Yeah, Jesus, kind of a deal. They, they they say, oh, we could use this to treat post traumatic stress disorder or to prevent soldiers from experiencing trauma. It's like. You know, the reason why people experience trauma when they do things that are immoral mm. is because they're immoral. <laughs> yeah. It's like you could... It's, the, um, it, the, the, we evolve those emotions to sort of try and cage our most animalistic um, behaviors. And uh, here they are trying to undo those. And, um, and, and look, man, I feel for the, the soldier on the ground that has to... Um, but that we put in harm's way and has to, I, I, I really, really do. But we're going down this pathway of turning them into automatons. They're basically turning them into robots that don't give a fuck. Is that, yeah. is, is that what this is? And I mean, it was, it was the last stream we did that um, covert moral bioenhancement came ah, up. Oh, <laughs> you had enough? Let me just say thank you to, I want to say thank you to uh, End of Days and um, Mark. Uh, very much appreciated for the donos. Um, it's uh, keeps me in the game and uh, allows me to uh, bring you very, very interesting individuals like uh, Spartacus here who's um, you know, look, I I consider myself a subject matter expert in brain modulating technologies, and I I can tell you that this stuff frightens the crap out of me. It really, really does. And I I was just saying that the last stream that we did when we were talking, do you have that paper to hand? That's a that's a good one to bring up. But in in that paper that we were discussing, covert moral bioenhancement. They literally lay out that that's a first strike weapon. 
It's yes. incumbent upon them to use it against you before if, you use um, it. If people know about it, then it, it uh, ruins the effect, is their argument. Yeah, so is that the, the covert moral borrowing hearts? Yeah, there it is. Just... No, I th actually, I think this one refers to that one. Okay. But um, this, this type of thinking, we have to rein it in, okay? We cannot let organizations that are driven by profit to be paving the way to this dystopia. What? Uh, this link right here is, should be, is the one right here. Yeah, here we go. It's in Wiley. Some first, straight in the first sentence. I take this argument one step further, arguing that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt. This is to say that it is morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they are receiving the enhancement. My argument for this is that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, then its administration is a matter of public health and for this reason should be governed by public health ethics. I argue that the covert administration of a compulsory moral bioenhancement program better conforms to public health ethics than does an overt compulsory program. In particular, a covert compulsory program promotes values such as liberty, utility, equality, and autonomy better than an overt program does. Thus, a covert compulsory moral bioenhancement program is morally preferable to an overt moral bioenhancement program. Uh, of course, um, well, you know, if this is the state of bioethics, then we're yeah, we're screwed. Sorry. We're screwed, right? The fact that this man would just feel that this is a, a, a an apropos argument to be putting forward into the literature just tells you the state that we're in. You, yes. you, you know what I think's the ethical thing to do? Hunt down these motherfuckers. That's what yes. I think we should be doing. Right? Well, they would use that, um, you know, that desire for aggression as evidence of like, like, see, this is why we need to enhance you. You want to hunt us down? Well, we just want to make you feel like, feel like better about everything we're doing, which is actually against your, your you know, rational self-interest. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, you, you can, you can look at, um, how the last three years has gone and it, for sure it was trial runs towards something like this right where you know they've they've unleashed all this psychological nudging they've they've tried to convince you that um you have to line up for um a, a human experimentation because that's that's what this was with respect to gene transfection technologies and but the thing is even if the these particular jabs don't have that kind of technology in them the existence of endemic viruses that justify um, perpetual booster shots um, mm -hmm. in, in, in for an indefinite period of time um, that puts is a foot in the door, a policy foot in the door that would allow them to incorporate this type of technology at a later date once yes. it becomes available and once it's refined enough. Yes, and, and it's, it's clear that that's the direction that they're heading. Yes, based very, on their statements. Very much so. Um, and Klaus Schwab has rather openly stated, you know, we're all going to have brain implants and 
and it's it's just it's it's shocking to me that uh, also i mean you know um like klaus schwab's book um shaping the future of the fourth industrial revolution and um to, to the people watching the stream you know i i recommend everyone like actually read like klaus schwab's books and stuff and get i mean if you, if you don't feel like like sending the guy any money find a pdf yeah right? yeah don't but, send that asshole money exactly but um what i recommend is definitely don't shy away from your enemy's publications they they are not being discreet about any of this they are openly stating their intentions in their in their works yes so um and they they just assume that nobody will read it. So, um, well, to they, a large... they they just hope the right people read it, and uh, the rest the rest of you plebs and peons uh, know your place. And well, uh, they they just hope that the rest of the plebs and peons are too busy playing Candy Crush to to notice. <laughs> um, this is uh, look if, if, short of um, you know remove the. the science fiction component of beam forming 5g being able to interact right it, it, it could it could get to the point where it, it could be much more well um invasive is the wrong word but um say say they talk that they clash you as a dissident right well they'll right. they'll they, they'll take you to well i guess in this case a hospital They'll strap you down because once you're a ward of the state, they'll get an IV line into you and then they'll load you up with this type of technology and then start screwing with your mind and it becomes uh, the essential equivalent of or, or a more sophisticated equivalent of Orwell's is it Room 101. Is that, mm -hmm. is that the... Am I getting that right? It was room 101, right? Was Something like that. Yeah, well, you know. Anyway. It's not, not rats gnawing at your face, but, um, you know, they can... There's a potential here to be able to go in and mess with your autonomy and sovereignty, right? And it, right. it doesn't matter whether it's here right now. The idea and intent is um, is being disseminated amongst decision makers right now yes klaus schwab's um uh, book uh, shaping the future of the fourth industrial revolution uh states you know it actually mentions darpa's brain initiative um i mean so klaus schwab is aware of these these advances and is incorporating them into his mm. you know his, his predictions mm. so and manifestos actually and yeah, the right. thing is is that okay so um he's he's said like i mean he, uh numerous times i mean, I mean he's, he's come forward and said you know the fourth industrial revolution will lead to a fusion of our um like our digital and biological existences is what he what he's saying is you know that essentially we'll take con control of biology digitally mm. um and that's i mean that, that in itself really it opens a massive can of worms when you consider the state of the art in in biotech um in in information technology and what could what could be done with bio nanotechnology what could be done with with uh with protein design with uh engineering entirely new genes from scratch things like that um and basically 
this is something where you know it, it they're pretty much trying to get it on the ground floor with the manipulation of biology as we and the end of evolution like natural evolution as we know it essentially they want to be able to engineer like new species from scratch kind of a thing yeah. they they want they want to be able to take complete control over the code of life yeah and the problem with that i mean so far is that living organisms are extremely complicated extremely complex if you if you're just talking about things like um how how our our genes and our proteins actually work how genetic expression works um how many different proteins you can make from precursors by manipulating them with with post translational processing things like epigenetic reprogramming uh, changing uh, patterns of genetic expression and so on with um and silencing genes and um using things like um mrnas and crnas and so on we, we we think about how complex a living organism actually is you know engineering a living organism from scratch is almost a non-starter mm. it's like it's something that's that's so complicated they, they're trying to they're putting their faith in um in black boxes they're putting their faith in deep learning um to be able to and machine learning algorithms to be able to engineer and like entirely new synthetic features synthetic biology um from scratch without human intervention because people don't have the capacity to keep all of this inside our head you know like i mean try and think about it try and think about like the totality of the pathways in the human body and how they all interact with each other like the, the all the different little pleiotropic effects of knocking out one ge one gene i i just um I just downloaded the paper if uh, you want the uh, full document, but I'm just scrolling through it. But um, let's let's just read this uh, revealing paragraph uh, about uh, it was under uh, implementation. But there may be ways to administer the moral enhancement to the relevant populations without those populations knowing about the enhancement. The method of delivery would depend on the mechanism of action of the enhancement. But one possible way of distributing it to the re relevant populations is by way of the public water supply. Another way it could be distributed is by packaging it with various vaccines while eliminating most exceptions. Or perhaps it could be distributed through forced air systems in public buildings or some combination of these right find oh these bastards find these bastards right and these people should be afraid to show their faces in public uh, yeah what the, the they should have, they should have been afraid to walk the streets like about a year ago <laughs> what the fuck man literally literally the things that you know whatever you think about vaccines etc you know it could be an argument made that the you know there's been some public health benefit from them maybe scroll down to the end there uh, was this to illustrate consider the following case um he said uh, as i will require, as i will argue the authenticity requirement is better met by an overt program than a covert program to illustrate consider the following case covert evil genius an evil genius has found a way to manipulate people's desires and beliefs by way of the radio waves emitted by their cell phones <laughs> This gives them the ability to produce desires and beliefs in people which favor the doing of bad actions, such as stealing and damaging property. Furthermore, he does this without anyone realizing that they are being manipulated. <laughs> what? 
Covert evil genius is an analogy to covert compulsory moral by Hesse with one modification. The desires and beliefs that are put into people are not good desires and beliefs, but bad ones. If Crutchfield is right, then the evil genius does not tarnish the authenticity of people's desires, beliefs, and other attitudes because people do not realize that their desires, beliefs, and, and other attitudes are not, in fact, their own. And this makes it easier for them to embrace their, their new desires, beliefs, and other attitudes as their own. This, this was actually um, Alexander Zambrano's um, uh, criticism of Parker Crutchfield's paper. So this is actually... Um, the other his, paper, his, that... his critique of that one. So, the one you you actually want is the second link I sent you. You probably just want to toss that in the Sci-Hub. Uh, let me just save this one. Cover. <laughs> Sorry, don't don't lose it. Where am I saving this thing? Let's put it in downloads for now. Um, but. <laughs> This, this type of thinking, man, I... It's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm... I'm... Well, I thought I, I, thought I had some hope. <laughs> but <laughs> this has just crushed it. <laughs> what? How, how did this pass review where he would talk about distributing it in water supplies and vaccine supplies. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy I know. shit. <laughs> that's, that's a war crime, buddy. Yep. That's a war the, crime. The thing about this is that these people are discussing things, um, essentially uh, neuro-warfare technologies like James Giordano mm. Charles Morgan, uh, Jonathan Marino, and, and the others have been talking about, um, where, where you have bioethicists and guys at think, t think tanks, especially military-aligned think tanks, discussing how you can man manipulate the geopolitical picture um, mm. by manipulating public opinion using neuro-warfare. Yeah, yeah. Like, forget old warfare. <laughs> warfare. This is the new frontier. And, and the thing about neuro-warfare is that they're trying to sidestep the biological uh, warfare convention. They're trying to si sidestep um, the BWC, and um, they're also trying to sidestep, you know... Um, well, that, well te technically, WMDs, this, this, so. this would come under a, um, a, a sophisticated form of incapacitation agent. Exactly. It's, uh, this is something where they're trying to lump it under this, the same category as like riot control agents, like uh, mm. uh, friggin' um, uh, like pepper spray. Mm. It's like it's, it's nothing. It's it's like um, yeah. We didn't gas. kill you. We didn't kill you. You might get Alzheimer's uh, ten years earlier and uh, just be a compliant sheep, but uh, we didn't kill you. So it's all <laughs> it's a okay. God damn it, man. Yeah, it's the totally sidestep biological warfare convention, mm -hmm. uh, chemical warfare convention, by coming up with something that is that is not killing but incapacitating, or the, or something that changes people's behaviors, beliefs, values, emotions, etc., to to make them easier to manipulate. Wow, I I mean the depravity and evil just wrapped up in that concept man i'm i'm struggling to put words to it 
and managerialism <laughs> has no faith in its ability whatsoever to contain our anger mm-hmm. to to control um like vast swaths of the population and direct our productive energies in such a way that we won't destroy the managerial caste mm-hmm. They, they are so paranoid, they believe that the only way to deal with, with rising populist anger um, is, to, is to manipulate people's brains, to, mani- to manipulate human behavior to, in the most direct way possible. Mm-hmm. And this is a serious problem that these sorts of ideas are proliferating in academia. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's not just academia, it's the, it's the corporations that are forming these stakeholder public private stakeholder um yes these these partnerships between between it and uh and pharma mm. um like galvani you know that's GlaxoSmithKline and google mm. and to, like Reg- regina dugan um ken gabriel that's guys who are like i mean people who are like um uh former darpa former google former facebook um, who are now involved in this kind of IT to biotech pipeline mm-hmm. that's that's um, essentially kind of melding the two worlds together. And, and just look, it's it's so diabolical because these these people look. I I get it. There's a hierarchy of competence, right? And yeah, if if you're um, a whiz at doing stuff in machine code and designing CPUs. I'm I'm all for you being able to, you know, have that bigger house, what have you. If you want to put the work in, I don't mind that. But th- these people don't want to have a, 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 a an equal dialogue with the people. They're 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 telling you, or they're telling us, yeah, we're we're literally petrified of the mob, of the people. And so mm-hmm. we're going to go to any lengths whatsoever to make sure that you are subdued to the point that we would roll out a first strike option to <laughs> target every one of you and your family. Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrendous. Um, it's sobering. Yeah. That's more than sobering, dude. <laughs> Just rage inducing and um look this is this is literally like the wet dream of stalin put into yes. put, put into a a fancy academic journal yep um it's what i find funny about it is that um it's pretty much exactly uh what john coleman described in his book about the committee of 300 and you Expand, please. Um, have you ever heard of the of the uh, the Committee of Three Hundred? Yes, the Club of Rome, and um, yes, yeah. Um, so um, let me see if I can. So yeah, these these Malthusian death cultists, pedos, right? Aren't satisfied with the luxury lifestyles they already have. They're just that they're they're coming to assault your mind. Right, that you can't you can't even be in your own own rundown living room, okay, with your five year old TV, right, and be in yes. peace. 
they're coming, they're coming for you. In the beginning of John Coleman's book, Conspirators Hierarchy, the story of the Committee of 300, he states that one of the goals that they had in mind, you know, the Club of Rome and the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission and all the rest of those asshats, um, is that, you know, that people would be effectively mind controlled um, to create like a slave class. Um, and this is something that they were, they were discussing years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he specifically cites Zbigniew Brzezinski's um, book, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era. Um, and I have a, actually have a copy of that as well, so and in hardcover. Um, that's something that, that people should definitely be, be reading um, as well. Wait, um, I, I'm... It's like, do I, do I need to keep reading these books to know that these bastards are after me? <laughs> Right. But this this goes all the way back to um, Jose, Jose Delgado and mm. his experiments with bulls back in the like the sixties, seventies. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I mean, that that's canon in my field, right? You know, he's a he's a hero, Delgado, right. uh, Delgado for what he did. I mean, it was all all the groundwork for establishing deep brain stimulation as a as a viable therapy. But oh, there man. is a like basically an unbroken line of um, of clear of, of intent here that stretches all the way back to the 70s. Mm. This is something where they, they would have done it back then if they had the technology, but they yeah. didn't yet. Mm. They, they, they knew they eventually would, though. Mm. So and if you go over like Zbigniew Brzezinski's uh, Between Two Ages. What he's saying in that book sounds almost identical to what like Klaus Schwab is, is saying in his books. Um, human human behavior is complex. The world is complex. Everything is fraught with complexity. Complexity, complexity, complexity. The only way we can we can solve the problem of mankind is to apply like systems cybernetics to human behavior. It, it, we we have to to precisely manage and take control of every aspect of human life. Every, I mean, the thing, the thing, like people's um, their tendencies, beliefs, values, um, and what motivates them, what their goals are, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, they the reason why they believed this was because they thought that we that human beings, that humanity as a whole would become unmanageable otherwise, that essentially we would collapse into chaos. That's, that's what these people honestly believed. Um, I, I don't think that these people are necessarily supervillains inside their own heads. I think that to some extent they actually do believe that they're doing the, all of this for some nebulous... Oh, the common good. Purpose. The common good, Spartacus. It's all just for the common good. <laughs> right. But meanwhile... The, uh, uh, it's just so exasperating to think about the way these people um, go, like fly to Davos on their private jets, and then they they sit around discussing how we all need to eat bugs right. and have, car- and have uh, uh, our carbon consumption tracked, um, our carbon footprints tracked twenty four seven by our. Um, by our bank, by our financial institutions. These people are, are the biggest hypocrites in human mm. history. They, they don't want mm. to give up even the tiniest 
shred of their luxuries. Mm. They they want the, they want all the rest of us to sacrifice so that they can continue to just keep enjoying, you know, gorging their, their appetites. Yes, gorging their, their appetites, enjoying their trips to the Bahamas and their and their private jets and their yachts to Epstein <sighs> Island. To yeah, and that that's the, that's the really infuriating part of this. It's not it's not that they want more champagne and caviar. Right, because they've got all that already. Right, it it it's that they've got to get their rocks off somehow, and th- and in in that sense, it's sort of w- they get it by breaking that those sacred moral and ethical boundaries that we have, and it's often geared towards the abuse of children. It's why it's so rampant in in the yeah. upper upper classes the managerial classes and you know well what a lot of people don't realize is that jeffrey epstein was a transhumanist mm. um he wanted to, to have his brain frozen by alcor his um, penis of, as well i learned this weekend as correct, well correct correct <laughs> and um and also um a lot of his guests were um were themselves scientists who were involved in these types of human augmentation technologies so mm. jeffrey jeffrey epstein himself very unremarkable intellect just just basically your average kind of like bro dude kind of a character who just who had absolutely no idea whatsoever of what pandora's box he was he was mm. sitting next to Mm. Um, it just completely well, sitting next to is not as I would say smashing it with a crowbar, trying to open it up. Um, and you know, I, he, I, I, I know the work of Delgado, and look, I mean, Epstein was was just a dumb middle man, yes. He he took he took Les Wexner's money and mm. he he passed it to. All sorts of, of, of people, uh, yeah. and, and it just—it's just ridiculous to me that people are all, all focused on Epstein. It's like, what about all the other people around him? Yeah, and what about the, all these other characters he was connected to. All, all the institutes that were bought out, all all, all, all these higher learning, Harvard, MIT, and right now we can we can point finger squarely at Columbia, and yeah, they're all in uh, FTX and spawning. Uh, uh, Bankman Freed, um, all everyone, all of these. Everyone who who uh, communicated with Jeffrey Epstein believed that he was a charlatan. He had absolutely nothing of any any import. No no input into any discussion whatsoever. He'd just be sitting there on the couch, like nodding along, uh huh, uh huh. Mm. So, like somebody said in the chat, he's a cutout. Mm. This is a guy who was a, who was a nobody who in had been chosen as an intelligence asset and given a great big slush fund to work with mm. okay and he was not a, a billionaire con man he was an intelligence asset he was he was being funneled money by like Mossad's by CIA um by his handlers to um to blackmail politicians and dignitaries yeah and so th- this is this is not a guy who was in control of his fate. This is not a guy who ever amounted to anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's just people are focused on Epstein like he's like he's this ma- master slick mastermind. Mm-hmm. The guy was a was a was an idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and it's the networks behind him that we have to be conscious of. And it's not it's not just Mossad. 
and CIA. It's it's all that all the upper echelons of these of these institutes that were yeah happy to take the money to advance these well essentially the eugenics programs at, at heart. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm just feeling a sense of despair at the contributions I made to this work, to this field, <laughs> right. man. What the fuck? <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was convinced that it was to help children. And, yeah. um, and it did. I, I know children that got helped as a direct result of the experiments that I did. And the... You know, I, I guess I was just stupid and naive, and, and, and no, it's not just that. I was, I was angling towards trying to be successful and sort of, you know, a, a, a big hitter in my field, and right. um, it it didn't cross my mind that we would we would be dealing with covert moral bioenhancement as a first strike weapon for these people. Right, and God, if, if it's the last thing I'll do, is see these see these things burn to the ground, man. That yeah. that they've got to be stopped. It's um, it's just the number of people who are involved in this this stuff. It's just, mm. I mean, look at for instance, um, a lot of people don't realize this, but you can link. Jeffrey Epstein to like EcoHealth Alliance and Metabiota with very very few degrees of separation like mm. basically none none I mean, um, he's in his book <laughs> yeah Nathan Wolf the head of of Metabiota uh, named Jeffrey Epstein and Boris Nikolic in his in his book mm. a lot of the, a lot of the stuff um, I mean uh, Billy Bostickson on Twitter did, did a lot of this research mm. and uh, shout out to Billy one eyed monkey yes. king. <laughs> Absolutely excellent research. Um, yeah. And um, also, uh, Mr. Stosh did a video about this um, on, on YouTube entitled uh, Meet Nathan Wolf. Um, let me see if I can just toss that into the chat there. For a while, um, they uh, were kind of censoring, censoring this from search results. You couldn't find it even if you put the title in directly. Oh, no shit. <laughs> so it was... Oh... Darn it! I'm, the URL's bad. There. Hold on one second. There we go. Um, Let's see what we've got here. Meet virologist Nathan Wolf, and who was dubbed the Indiana Jones. This is this guy. This is Nathan Wolf. He was, um, he was on DARPA's Defense Science Research Council. I believe that that it was it was dissolved, um, though. And um, I mean, back when it was around, he was on EcoHealth Alliance's editorial board. Um, he was friends with Gielan Maxwell yeah. and was one of the the founding members of the the Terramar. Yeah, charity. Yeah, yeah. The, the just, fake, fake Terramar. The, the, the pictures of him with Ghislaine Maxwell. That's that's not a sort of photo bombing one like <laughs> Elon Musk. Literally, Nathan Wolf is copying a handful of her ass as they're Pretty as much. they're snuggling up to each other. It's gross. It, what this what this effectively tells us right here. I mean, just being like seeing that. This guy, who's basically a fucking spook, mm. um, is 
like accepting resources from from DITRA, USAID, uh, from NIH, and passing them on to um, the, Wuhan, the Wuhan Institute of Virology and so on. Um, what that shows us is that this global virome project stuff is basically CIA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is this is this is this is all spook stuff. Yeah. This is not. I mean, the, people are still thinking about this. Like, oh, it's just some something that happened in a lab. It's just some lab leak kind of a thing. It's like, no, this is spook stuff. These these people are connected directly to the five eyes. Mm, yeah, yeah. And in in this mix, it, it's not just. It's not. You know, I I, I focus on the bio warfare aspect because that's tractable right now and. You know, people need to know about it, and it's some—it's—it's it's a way of pushing back legally at the moment. But and Andrew Huff shared a InQtel uh, pitch deck with um, about their uh, their pitch for for InQtel funds. <laughs> so it's and that's that's it's CIA. This is this whole thing is CIA from top to bottom. And that's what they don't want people to, to realize yeah. because once people, once people realize it's CIA, the gig is up. Mm, yeah. And, uh, CIA is just, uh, it's all paperclip all, all mm -hmm. full of paperclip anchor babies. <laughs> that's, yes. That's, what, that's how you've got to look at it. And the fact that the fact that these people are still walking around right now, as if nothing has happened, right? That they're not part of this, authoritarian technocratic push to take away your sovereignty um blows my mind and you know in an ideal world i i would hope that these people um would be afraid to show their face ever again but yeah you know, the, the what i think is the most practical way is to make sure that um we become chameleon like and our tribe propagates this information multi-generationally right so that these fuckers cannot keep pulling this type of stuff off because even yeah. e even if we stop it we don't have another generation we have at most 10 years mm. well look in that's the time that's our deadline but for us to be able to fix this mm. well, otherwise who even knows how far ahead of us they're going to get with this biotechnology st business? Yeah, well, the, the, their, their covert moral bio enhancement will be deployed, and uh, we'll be helping. Where's where's this sense of nausea coming from, Spartacus? As I as I look at your threads on Twitter, yeah. how come that started? <laughs> but that's yeah, that's where they would like to take it, and in in a in a world in which they've catalogued all or a good portion of the DNA of the family lines of people who are dissident voices right now. Yeah. That's, that's the really concerning aspect. And that, that puts you in a world where you just, you can't trust anything. Well, I don't, we do, I'm going to have to read, uh, the article with respect to what other um, avenues that they're looking for implementation here, but um, <laughs> I'm guessing I'm guessing viruses play a factor I gotta, in check it. Check out this video. I'm gonna 
say it to you directly and also drop it in the chat. This is Karen Sailors of Labyrinth Global Health walking around in some African village or something um, with Nathan Wolf. Uh, let's let's have a look at this. How old is this video? 11 years. <laughs> yep. Right around 20, 26 seconds or, or around 23 seconds. But the people who are living in close contact of these viruses are where the pandemic starts. You go to a small village where we can barely and still we can have a conversation about ways to change the world. The people who we work with are really receptive to learn and to work with us. Unfortunately, in Central Africa, the poverty level is incredibly high. People are looking for ways of finding food to feed their family. We work with hunters to come in and bring us dried blood spot cards. So when they go hunting, they will take some of the blood from the animal that they've killed and put it on the card so that we can do our research. What we can communicate is that for certain behaviors that people are doing that we know are dangerous, it's our responsibility to talk to them about it, to look for ways that they can do things differently. Yeah, that they know are dangerous. Fuck these people. Right, that, um, something that goes back to free human existence, right? How dare you? How dare you engage in such activities? Lab right. Labyrinth Global Health's um, address is listed as 546 15th Avenue, Northeast, St. Petersburg, Florida. Now, I, I want you to look that up in Google Maps right now. I'm going to send you the address <laughs> and share the, share the screen. Let's see what we see in Street View. Okay. Hang on one second. <laughs> Need to there go to Street View. Yep. Start. We go to the lower right corner and drop the little man on the map. This is supposed to be like Labyrinth Global Health's <laughs> corporate headquarters. It's it's a residential area. This is basically being run, I think, out of Karen Sailors' house. What does that tell you? Yeah. Uh. Well, it, it tells me it tells me they don't have um the power that they're trying to project, but um I'm I'm just wondering how close this was to um Epstein's Florida <laughs> addresses. These these NGOs are basically all like CIA fronts. They mm. they don't really have any real physical offices. They they just they're basically just run out of some, you know, some assets house mm. yeah. and that's that's how they do all of this crap yeah wow <laughs> unbelievable dude and here, here they here we are and they've got you know going back to the start of our conversation where you've got what did you say bozos bozos online right who have just bought into this whole it's not pantomime, is it? It's more. It, it, it is 
real, but uh, are there cheerleading on this technology, cheerleading on the authoritarianism, whooping in delight at the idea of uh, restraining human beings and their speech and thought. I know someone someone yeah. said someone said in the chat earlier that um, we should. That violence is probably necessary. I may be coming round to that view. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Just once, once you start talking covert moral bio enhancement, yeah, my heck will start to rise somewhat. Right? It's not, not yeah. just a case of <laughs> look. Just leave me alone. We'll be okay. Right? You do you. I'll do me. Um, well, they don't want to leave anyone alone. No. They, they want to have total dominion over this planet. Mm. And, and every everyone and everything on it. Mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, from Bushmen trying to feed their families to um, just the, the working, working Joe Schlub who's just trying to make his paycheck for the day. And they're, they're, they're taking all, all of that away. And, you know, it makes... Well, the thing about it is if you stop and think about... Um, what what could be done in the future with this type of nanotransducer technology with like two-way communication with human brains mm. and so on. And I mean, this is the kind of thing where in the future, they may be able to use like human brain botnets as like a great big distributed supercomputer. Mm. So, I mean, think about how much processing power that actually is, especially for running like deep learning applications or something like use, use a human brain as like a neuromorphic computer. Mm. Um, this is something where, I mean, people are walking around with literally like a quadrillion dollars worth of GPUs in their heads. Mm. It's, this is a lot of processing power and they probably, um, want to use human beings as walking wealth generators. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, um, and I mean, and think about how it feeds back into everything else. If you have a brain computer interface that is, is capable of using, um, that has, is capable of two way communication that's capable of, of say passing a query to a neuron and then having that neuron process the query and then reading it back. Um, and let's say you could run like neuromorphic applications on that in in the in like a human brain cloud let's just say um you could use that for protein design protein discovery and so on to be able to design more advanced proteins that let you develop more advanced uh brain computer interfaces that are that are partially biological and so on and then that gives you more control over the brain which in which then feeds back into um, having a better human brain cloud that can discover even better proteins and so on and so forth. Basically, what they want is this self-sustaining kind of feedback loop of um, of discovery, iteration. Uh, basically, yeah, discovery, iteration. iteration yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, that's again. That's I, I, kind of something that. Where it's kind of kind of a little bit like way out on the on the horizon, maybe in several yeah, decades they'll they'll be thinking about something like that. But yeah, at, at that point you've sort of crossed the event horizon of technology as we we would understand it. Um, the uh, the singularity, yeah, so to speak. And I I, I don't know. 
you know, it, 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 it does make you wonder sort of about, you know, their, their end goals here, which is, well, a much, a much smaller population, one, one that's um, far, far easier to control. And, you know, their, their, their first baby steps in that direction have, have been achieved or, or, or massively accelerated in the last three years to the point where the G20 are turning around and agreeing that we all have to now have who um, defined vaccine passports, digital passports. You are going to be unable to travel without them. And my... When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I thought all this technology was going to be so amazing. I thought, man, this is going to be wonderful. We're going to have all this mm -hmm. this ad advanced stuff. Uh, it's going to be like Star Trek. It'll be cool. Um, and now I'm... Same. I'm getting older, I'm starting to think, you know, maybe I ought to be hiding out in Uncle Ted's cabin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prophet Ted. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was, someone on my Discord sent me uh, the the manifesto. <laughs> he's, he's dead on, man. <laughs> he was, I was like, dang. No wonder they locked him up. <laughs> well, if he, um, he drew a lot of his inspiration from like uh, the writings of uh, Jacques Ellul, um, and you know this um, this goes back to um, I mean some people call it like neo Luddism, you know, like people just just kind of mm -hmm. being opposed to to advanced technology in general. But but also I think that rather than technology being the problem. It's the attitude that every aspect of human life should be reduced to technique. Mm, you know, mm. it's it's like it's not so much that um, that technology per se is bad. Technology is just a tool. Um, what's yeah, it's, bad it's, it's is the attitude attitude is, of those that, wielding yes, it. It's that, what's bad is when you have that when you have people in power who have that attitude that. Every aspect of human social life has to be manipulated by technology. That it has to be made efficient, you know, for its own sake. Mm -hmm. And that's that is just completely pointless, and it robs the humanity out of living. Yeah, and and this is this is the problem of having the the economy, the idea of economics driving the idea of what it is to be human, and. You know, look, of course, economics and markets are important, but it's not what it. That's not the fabric of your existence, your 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 soul. And you know, there. You know, I think most people would agree that there are some market systems that are better than others. But where where we've gone wrong is to allow this sort of. I don't. I don't know. It's like a sort of turbocharged capitalism and un and and a select few being able to reap any of the profits and then if it goes wrong then sort of socializing the the losses so that everyone has to pay so that these people never feel any pain so they just yeah. keep doing and repeating the cycle yeah um let me see on on Gates Notes. There is this uh, Bill Gates has this blog called Gates Notes. It's got no things. Guys, own Substack. That's hilarious. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, let me see if I can. 
uh, find it here. Um, this was, damn, where is it? Um, this was several years ago. He, um, uh, he was responding to some, some critique from someone else saying like, I agree that we shouldn't like, like become a nation of like rentiers and something. And then, and now of course, Bill Gates is buying up like hundreds of thousands of acres in farmland, mm, yeah. stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And you know, it, it, what, it's, what a hypocrite. It's, it's a, it's a means to dis, disenfranchise people from their ability to well, sm small hold, I guess, for one of a, you know, if if you wanted to, you know, when we were talking about solutions earlier, you know, you don't have to have a massive mortgage and living in a house like this right, that's on the screen. You could go somewhere far more rural and live within your means if you if you were so inclined and and be able to unplug and not contribute to these systems and. Yeah, they're at, they're actively in the process of removing that ability, such yeah. such that it, you know someone puts land up for sale, boom, they'll come in and and take it, and the what they what they want, um, what they really want is to own all all productive land, all productive assets. Mm. Um, they want to own and control. Um, Pretty much all the goods and, and services in the in the economy. Um, they want to, they want it such that things that we used to think of as as our own private property um, are essentially held in trust for them by mm. corporations. Yes. Um, and they want us all to just pay subscription fees, like uh, like like the smartphone game with its microtransactions, or like. Um, uh, like how you pay for Adobe now. Remember how back in the day you used to actually buy a copy of Photoshop? Now people just subscribe to Photoshop. I, I know it just drives me up the wall. <laughs> they they want they want people to subscribe to everything, and if people s subscribe to everything and they don't have actually have any any property, any assets, mm -hmm. uh, if they're part of that kind of surf class that that just subscribes to everything, then you know if if all they have to do to control people is threaten to take away their their bank account take mm -hmm. away their access to financial services if you if you don't own anything then the moment that they they take take your finances away you have nothing no assets mm -hmm. no, nothing to fall back on you mm -hmm. just you, you just have the shirt on your back yeah which that's, is that's what they've done their, to me their um, dream their dream is to be able to to blackmail people so to socially like to blackmail people with a threat of financial deplatforming for for individuals like what look at what happened to like the people with the trucker protests for instance like yeah. um they just they defined an entire group of people as like terrorists you know and and said you know we're not gonna we're just gonna cut off you know, paypal we're gonna cut off gofundme we're gonna cut off every everything and you're not gonna be able to, to even um pay for gas mm. uh, and they, so. they went they went after people who made the donation even small donations yeah right? even the donors mm. and, and that ability to um to control people by taking their finances uh, their, their access to financial services away is magnified by abolishing private property and replacing it with this sort of rent rentier uh owned 
kind of like servitization society. Mm. Yeah. And like I say, they're, they're, they're well on the way to implementing it. And, and, and because people would naturally rebel against this intolerable state of existence, um, they are coming up with technologies to render people docile and, um, and indolent and, uh, you know, um, totally passive. Uh, totally passive, yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I had faith that in the sort of, non-conformity of the the u.s but in in reality yeah most people at at the fore or fret of losing the ability to bank or use these services and i can tell you it's bloody painful when they do it okay um are not going to cross that threshold Okay, you know, it it would, and I, I would advise people: don't. There's no need for you to put your heads above the parapet right now. Okay, um, I, I, <laughs> that's just there's a, there's a, a good network speaking out and um, trying to sort of raise these issues and point to who the problem groups are, etc. Um, you know, th th there's there's no there's no need for you to sort of take the hits right now, but be prepared. Be prepared for that type of action to be coming in the future, right? When yeah. when you refuse to line up for your mandatory shots, and it, may, it probably wouldn't even have to be mandatory shots. They could just ration fuel, and most people most people will comply with that. Because yep. you know you got you got kids, you can get them to school. You got to get to supermarkets. You got all those things. Most most people would, um, you know, go along to get along. And yeah. you know we, but you know in whilst you're whilst you're able to maintain cover, do everything that you can to spike these systems. <laughs> you know, fun it's. I did this stream with Ryan Dawson on Saturday, and apparently they were uh, sending animal samples into Twenty Three and Me. Wow, <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> great. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> just, just spike their tires, right? Think of ways to put sugar in, metaphorically, put sugar in the gas tank in this way, and um, you know, the getting into the U.S. I didn't, I, I, I didn't, didn't take a vaccine. I went and got and made sure I got a letter of exemption. And you can, if you put the work in, you can find ways to um, to circumvent a lot of this um, well, they're, they're forcing you to comply by tricking you into contracts, right? And yeah. You have to, you have to be what's the Bible quote? Um wise as serpents is that the something along those lines right yes G gentle as doves wise as serpents something like that um and mm -hmm. um just just think that these people would break contracts with you like that that they wouldn't yeah. think twice about it they've already broken the social contract mm. yes yeah 
it's we're in a situation now where we realize that our civil liberties are under uh, under threat like never before where they're actively seeking to take our our most basic and fundamental rights including including our rights over our own bodily autonomy mm. and and com- completely dispense of those just just mm. get rid of them and which which and, are, which is the most fundamental one right your your like, right yeah once you um once private property and all the rest of that that stuff is out of the way i mean the last thing you have is your body mm. It's like, and that's, that's the... they consider it a, they consider it theirs anyway, right? Once, uh, yes. once, once they dole out those birth certificates with your corporate, corporate ID number. You, did you know about how they, how they literally right, your right. birth certificate is traded? It's a tradable commodity, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because of your tax earning potentials, right? So yep. it's I, I guess it's just an extension of those systems and these people believe that they're they've got a birthright to keep farming you in that manner. Um, yeah. Well that's why I call them uh, human cattle ranchers. Yeah. <laughs> right. It just we just gotta uh just waiting for the uh, trip to the abattoir, right? Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I said another topic of conversation that came up recently was just like, don't be an organ donor. <laughs> be make sure you've got an advocate if they if they're taking you to hospitals, especially now they've managed to aggregate all this genetic data about people. <laughs> Who knows what calculations they're making in the background to uh, to slice and dice you up should the opportunity arise? Yeah. Uh, when, and when you think about it, right, just just think that they would they, they they literally could be screening for sort of ideal mates, right? Yeah. So that so that even even that aspect of your life is is commodified and um, where where they're making selections and ugh, so dark. So, yeah. It's just, I mean, a lot of this stuff is, I mean, when you re- when you see the whole picture of what they're trying to do, it's just, it's honestly exhausting mm-hmm. because it's exasperating because it's, it's just, it's on such a large scale. And there are so many people who are contributing to this without even realizing it mm-hmm. because they've been, they've been siloed so extensively. Yeah. Um, and they, they think that they're contributing to entirely valid scientific research and they don't, they don't realize Yet, how it could be misused? Mm. Yeah, man. Look, I, I was, I was there, man. <laughs> yeah, was... exactly. You were there. It's. Um, I mean, think about what would happen if, for instance, we started going around and waking up some more scientists. Yeah, you know, like we we need to actually think about ways to undermine the institutional support mm. that these um, tyrants are are uh, monopolizing. The the thing is though, I I just I, I honestly believe that in most cases the the ties that bind are just so strong in this case, right? Because you've got literal believers in in the system that um, you know essentially believe the scientific process to be infallible um, or self-correcting, or, or, or worse, and the. 
well, it's not. No. The thing is, is that people are corruptible. Um, the, science, the, the scientific method isn't the problem. The problem is that, is that people are motivated by the desire for grant money, and they're also motivated by the... Um, uh, the limitations and strictures placed upon them, but well, not just that, not just ego, but also the the publishers. Oh, it was the ego, dude. That's such a big driver for me. Oh, I'm a hotshot scientist. Look at me. Bow, bow. Bow down to my superiority. Oh, I, was, I was riddled with that. Uh, tell you. But, you know. Publishers, even if someone, you know, does an experiment and they write a paper about it and they, they send it into nature or whatever, there's no guarantee that they're going to be published, even if they, their findings are entirely valid. Mm. You know, it's, it's one of those things where um, publishers have financial incentives just like anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, the scientific process is corruptible by money. Yes, to a to a, a large extent, like like beyond what people even can even imagine is possible. Yeah, um, yeah. one would one would think, and one would hope that truth would win out in the end. That to some extent, um, you know, that scientific evidence would would see us through to a proper conclusion. But, but that is that isn't always the case, though. Unfortunately, I I, I do think um, science can help us through this um you know a good good understanding of science engineering but you you know you also need the historians you need the the network analysts like yourself and mark and um all all, all of this needs to be many many people need to contribute to this uh pushback um yes but uh, the the extent to which the scientific systems have been subverted corrupted you're you're entirely on point and you know i i i was aware of that but in you know i think one of the things that disturbed me the most about about all of this was um the way that they were like there were signs that the doctors realized that the official treatment protocols for covid 19 were not that effective at at rescuing their patients. There were there were people who were coming in, um, and they were um, they were they were in the emergency room. You know, they, they had been symptomatic for like a few days, and and because they didn't have like you know severe symptoms, because they they didn't have um, you know low O2 saturation, all all those signs that indicate that they're they're heading towards the kind of hyperinflammatory syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, but because they, they, they didn't have that, they just told them, oh, you know, just go home and get some bed rest, maybe take a Tylenol or something. Okay, take a Tylenol, come back when your lips are blue. <laughs> That's actually, exactly, come back when your lips are blue. That's actually the worst thing they could have told them to do. Yeah. It's the, and the reason why is because COVID-19, um, severe COVID-19, which is actually quite rare, um, severe COVID, when it occurs, it's a it's an oxidative stress syndrome. These these people have essentially like a form of sepsis. Um, you look at, at at the biological processes of sepsis and then COVID nineteen endotheliitis. It's basically the same thing. 
end, endothelial uh, glycocalyx shedding, uh, endothelial cell activation, platelet activation, oxidative stress. Um, it's all the same things that you'd see in sepsis. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing about it is that that condition is made worse by taking acetaminophen. Mm. Because acetaminophen actually lowers your glutathione levels. It actually reduces your intracellular antioxidant levels. Your cells protect themselves from the effects of of inflammation uh, from, you know, from leukocytes coming in and spewing damaging enzymes everywhere that that produce uh, like damaging radicals. Uh, They protect themselves from that with intracellular with endogenous antioxidant pathways like uh, glutathione peroxidase. If, If you don't have those, then what happens is the cell will just will basically just friggin implode. Uh, people need to look up uh, ferroptosis and parthenitose and how they 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 actually work. Yeah. Um, um, the thing about about uh, so like ferroptosis, for instance, is lipid peroxidation driven. It's it's driven by by iron, you know, free iron which is highly reactive and promotes this kind of oxidative stress. And um, it's, a, it's a form of cell death that is, that is driven by the, um, the oxidation of the plasma membrane of the cell mm. in the presence of iron. So, um, and parthenitose is um, related to overexpression of, of PARP1. So, and this is also related to depletion of, of NAD. Uh, so nic- nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide in the cell. So um, what alarmed me the most about like what the FDA are doing, for instance, the FDA are trying to, to, to see to it that like N-acetylcysteine right. and, and nicotinamide mononucleotide are taken off of shelves that they're no longer sold as over-the-counter supplements, despite the fact that uh, N-acetylcysteine is a, is a precursor of glutathione. It raises your cellular antioxidant levels. And um, nic- nicotinamide mononucleotide is a NAD precursor, and it raises your NAD levels and prevents parthenitose. Mm. So these are things that, these things that they're taking off the shelves, these are things that could conceivably be used as rather cheap, over-the-counter uh, COVID-19 preventives or therapeutics, in theory. Mm. Um, provided that they had reasonable bioavailability. Yeah, so I, I mean, it's it's more about um, making sure that you're regularly taking, rather than hoping that it turns around a sort of crisis situation, right? That, that you want to mitigate trying to get into the the spiral of these um, free radical um, cascades, and yes. Um, the, the fact that the FDA would <laughs> try to limit your your access to vitamins and supplements is is well, it's shocking. Yeah, it's that's it's again, it's fucking dark, dude. Because that means someone knows, someone yeah. within the bureaucracy knows what could um, mess up their little narrative and are going out of their shit. way. Yeah. Sure you don't get it. Uh, Aurora Storm says aspirin any good. Yes, aspirin should be your first port of call in in, in the um, onset of SARS. And 
Formatidine, just protect your stomach. It may help with the, the virus itself. And aspirin, right? You've got to stop the coagulation um, starting because once once that cascade yeah. begins, um, all sorts of horrible, horrible biology, pathology begins to emerge. And uh, someone's saying Spartacus is a beast. His knowledge is intimidating. Yeah, man. And look. I, Sorry, I some, uh, had somebody um, having a conversation with someone here. Hold on. Yeah, sure. Um, well, whilst whilst you're doing that, I'll I'll tell you a little anecdote about Spartacus. It's like it's one of the first people that I spoke to when I sort of went public about um, SARS, um, how uh, it very likely came from a lab, etc. And um, at, Trust me on this, right? This is someone who's, again, put the time in to pick up the research papers and read through them and make an effort to learn them. And yes. coming from completely different domain. Okay, so yep. it, this knowledge is tractable to you if you take the time to um, to read through these um these papers these that's these... the thing is that a lot of people don't realize uh, a lot of this information is available freely online mm. i mean the vast majority of it is it's it's the kind of thing where if you want to do the research if you really want to get to kind of like knuckle under and, and are willing to do hundreds or thousands of hours of this kind of research um yeah um you could definitely unravel um COVID 19 pathology if you wanted and um, uh, it's just a there's just a huge amount of information out there about about COVID nineteen pathology right now. There there are um, these p web portals that have like hundreds of thousands of papers on it. Yeah, and there's um, there's plenty of people out there like Spartacus and myself who are happy to spend the time talking to you about it as well. We'll, we'll walk you through step by step, you know, some of the some of the primary issues. We haven't touched on amyloids today, which is. Uh, we did at the, at the beginning a little, a little bit. We did. A um, little, OK. <laughs> the thing is, is that um, it's just there's there's so much about the official response to COVID-19 that, that is just infuriating when you, you think back like to, to the things that the media said. And what doctors are saying about it is just unbelievable to me because um, you have this situation here where you have a SARS-like virus that has that potentially has SARS-like sequelae, and the media are coming out and saying, "Oh, long COVID." They're making it sound almost like something like where you get it and then it's like AIDS where you have it forever kind of a thing, and they they, they make it sound almost laughable, you know, like they they kind of. The language that they use is almost engineered to to invite derision, mm. you know, and and dis and dismissal of the threat. Mm. Um, meanwhile, if you actually go back and look at at, uh, at SARS papers from the mid two thousands, you know, they knew about SARS sequelae and people developing um, MECFS, mm. chronic chronic post viral fatigue syndrome um, after SARS. So this was this was already well known mm. that SARS could cause long term sequelae, but the, but the media made it sound absurd. Yeah, it's they they nobody took it seriously. And I, I, I would I would say this that um, there's enough 
extant knowledge to be able to have a good crack at treating the, the long COVID symptoms, right? And, you know, my, you know, I'm maybe biased in this, but you want to understand the core of it, microglial activation. Understand yes. what that means, right? And there, there are ways and, and mechanisms to try and address it. Um, persistent inflammation, persistent microglial activation, um, amyloid microclotting. Mm. Uh, all of all of these mechanisms could underpin um, long-term symptoms yeah. with this sort of thing. And to some extent, I think that this is treatable. Yes. Um, you know, I I take like natokinase and stuff. I I had I had COVID nineteen. I I take. Um, all sorts of things to try and um, to try and assist in the breakdown of like uh, like amyloids and stuff. So mm. yeah, um, me too. I mean, you know, can I can can I really say it's doing exactly what it says on the tin? Not not really, but I'm I'm still taking them anyway. And you know, the the I I, I guess the question is, would I be as functional as I am? right now were i not taking them i don't know i i i honestly don't know but exactly the the problem is i mean one of the main problems here is that we don't really have enough research into this mm. there should be clinical trials mm. they should be investigating these substances because honestly there are there are um perfectly natural enzymes and nutraceuticals and things that could be and antioxidants that could be used potentially to lessen the burden of COVID-19 sequelae. Mm. Yep. And, and they, they just haven't been investigated. Mm. It's, I mean, well, it's, 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 it's all it's get, where... get the medical countermeasure that they're trying to push. That's it. And so you have, again, you have to ask what's their motivations in, in or, or pursuing that line of thought? Because, you know, the data is out there that, um, it doesn't doesn't protect from these drawn out drawn out symptoms. It doesn't um, it doesn't stop the triggering of these inflammatory processes. Um, it, it's it's down to you as the individual to take the time to find out about these things. And uh, it, people on my Discord told me about natokinase, and um, <laughs> I'm trying them. Yeah. <laughs> Why um, not? So the thing is, is that I mean, if people can to can tolerate aspirin, um, they can they should be able to tolerate natokinase. Um, mm. But um, I don't recommend it for people who have like bleeding disorders no, and who can't no. tolerate aspirin. So that's that's definite contra contraindication there. So, I, and I, I would um, say this for the aspirin, right? It, that's for the acute phases, right? Yes. Um, well, the thing is, is that there were studies actually that that I believe that did show that, um, you know, taking low dose aspirin uh, persistently for a period of of six months to a year after recovering from COVID nineteen um, raised people's survival rates because mm. because COVID nineteen excuse me the, the um, causes a uh, it has it had it causes like a coagulation syndrome effectively. Um, you're looking at something where 
someone might have persistent clotting for up to, for up to six months or even beyond mm. after after recovering from the virus. Mm. They might have a, a persistent kind of semi hypercoagulable state. Mm. Um, so aspirin, natokinase, serapeptase, um, one of those could be helpful if someone takes it for several months after recovering from the virus potentially. Yeah. And it's, just, it's something it's something that, that really needs to be investigated. Um, there are other therapeutics that, that I, I mean, that, that I, uh, investigated myself that I kind of looked into, um, that could have been used to significantly lessen the symptoms of COVID-19. Um, so COVID-19 involves sepsis, neutrophilia, neutrophil degranulation, neutrophil respiratory burst, and so on. So, um, as, as well as neutrophil extracellular trap formation. So what we're talking about here is essentially like a hyperinflammatory syndrome, right? Mm. It's, it's the innate immune system is, is completely wigging out. Mm. Um, you're ending up with damaging enzymes in the extracellular space, um, excess, um, release of, you know, extracellular superoxide, uh, dismutase and, and, um, yeah, myeloperoxidase enzymes that that produce like hypochlorous acid. So, um, what what you have here is something that's very similar to sepsis. So, like like um, the COVID nineteen uh, was it like the Frontline Critical Care Alliance? Like what is it like? Um, uh, Paul Merrick, I believe it was, or mm. um, he was advocating for the use of antioxidants to treat sepsis. So, like his big thing is like, you know, maybe we can all we can treat sepsis by just giving people mega doses of vitamin C or something. Mm. Um, that's that's something that he's been into for a very very long time, even since even before COVID nineteen. The problem with that is that treating sepsis is very time sensitive. Um, it's the kind of thing where you have to get the intervention into somebody like now, now, like before they, they develop like really serious symptoms like ARDS and, yeah. and, um, pneumonia and all of that. So, um, and the thing is, uh, so what we're talking about here in severe end stage COVID-19, um, what it looks like is hypochlorous acid like stripping iron out of heme and then you have like um essentially you have like fenton's reagent in in people's bloodstreams you have iron um hydrogen peroxide superoxide all in the same place uh producing hydroxyl radicals nonstop, and those hydroxyl radicals are causing like ongoing lipid peroxidation accumulation of, of damage associated molecular patterns you know, damps mm. um and then you, what you have is this runaway inflammation because the presence of those oxidized lipids um creates a um a a feedback loop of inflammation you you have more immune cells coming in, releasing even more damaging enzymes, oxidizing even more lipids, and so on and so forth. What they find in people who have COVID-19, pretty much universally, is that they have low nitric oxide bioavailability. They have um, low intracellular, like they have low glutathione levels, low um, low antioxidant levels, and they also have highly elevated oxidative stress biomarkers like nitrotyrosine, uh, 4-hydroxynonanol, and so on. That shows that there is oxidative stress cascade going on here, and it's very severe. It's like beyond what 
most people would even imagine that oxidative stress being mm. this is like this is basically like cells being bleached to death mm. um so this well, is something it, where it, it's within it's within that storm that the misfolding occurs and the amyloidosis begins to um spread or and, the cascade emerges um, amyloids actually contribute to that mm. Um, amyloids are highly pro-oxidant and pro-inflammatory. So, um, and not, not only that, SARS-CoV-2's viroporins, the envelope and the 3A proteins, behave as calcium ion channels. That is, when the virus infects a cell, its own proteins pull calcium ions into that cell and they promote intracellular calcium pathway activity, which, which supercharges that cell's metabolism and promotes, promotes oxidative stress. Yeah. So, and this is actually measurable. And people who have COVID-19, they have hypocalcemia. They have low blood calcium because these infected cells are pulling calcium out of their blood and into the cells. So there's intracellular calcium influx. Um, also, as SARS-CoV-2 spike binds to ACE2 receptors, it triggers a bradykinin storm because normally ACE2 helps with the degradation of um, DES ARG9 bradykinin. Um, and what that, what that causes is now you have an elevated level of bradykinin interacting with its receptor. That further increases intracellular calcium pathway activity. Um, which further increases oxidative stress. Another thing is that bradykinin has uh, crosstalk and overlap with the cyclooxygenase pathway and prostaglandins and um, arachidonic acid and so on. When you have arachidonic acid release you ha in the presence of this extreme oxidative stress, you will have the formation of, of what are called isoprostanes, which are like prostaglandins, but not. They're they're formed oxidatively without any contribution of any any enzyme. So they they just directly from from arachidonic acid uh, reacting with with radicals to form isoprostanes. Um, all these radicals start oxidizing lipids. They start oxidizing all these lipids, and what you what you have is you have um, like like um, cardiolipin. And uh, phospholipids, polyunsaturated fatty acids, all of them being oxidized, and the um, the body starts forming autoantibodies against these oxidized lipids. So you end up with anti-cardiolipid antibodies, anti-anti-phospholipid antibodies, and and so on and so forth. And what this causes is this causes something that's very similar to, um, for instance, uh, lupus. Um, when when someone has lupus, they have neutrophil extracellular trap formation. They have excessive damaging enzymes. Ah, well, um, well now, are, dude, you can have uh, splenic uh, stimulation too. They're oxidizing lipids and so on, so and producing these what are called oxidation specific epitopes. But there's so a, there's have... a question for you in the chat. Um, do you still think COVID is dangerous? Um, moderately. It's something to keep an eye on. Um, the thing is, is that COVID-19's mortality is highly age stratified. Um, it's, it's far more severe in people who are like over, over 60. So it's also far more severe in people who, uh, who have 
pre-existing uh, diabetes, hypertension, um, uh, you know, uh, basically like metabolic syndrome, like obesity. And the reason for that is because people who have those conditions have pre-existing endothelial dysfunction. Their endothelial cells are already struggling with chronic oxidative stress. They already have low glutathione levels. They already have dysregulation of calcium metabolism in their, their, the cells lying in their blood vessels. So the virus takes advantage of this and it causes a more severe syndrome. Um, so, and older people, Older people have lower levels of um, endothelial nitric oxide synthesis to begin with um, and higher levels of endothelial dysfunction um, just from aging. And uh, that leads to susceptibility to this, this type of syndrome because um, uh, the ACE2 receptor that SARS-CoV-2 binds to is primarily found in vascular endothelial cells that line blood vessels. Um, that's another thing that I got so pissed off about. Um, the media and, and doctors were presenting COVID-19 as a pneumonia, as a respiratory syndrome. Uh, meanwhile, what the paper, all the papers on COVID-19 were actually saying is that the virus infects the lining of blood vessels and it causes small capillaries to leak into the lungs. So this is something that's attacking people's bodies from the blood vessels outward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, not, it's not anything like what the media have presented it as. They've they presented a completely different syndrome. They say it's oh it's it's pneumonia kind of a thing, and people people can kind of, and people t uh, buy that, and they they take that that information in, and meanwhile the scientific literature on it is saying something completely different. Yeah, it's, uh, this is so this is people. The well, public was sabotaged. The they, public had a right to know. Yes, they, they had a right to know everything. And the um, the gaslighting that took place, well, it's still ongoing. Um, but I want to get this question in before we wrap up. Um, what about the long-term disabling effects? That isn't particularly age-stratified, is it? Well, the, the, um, I, I would the the sequelae of COVID nineteen are are variable. They, I mean, when people get it. Some it's like a ten or twenty percent chance that somebody will have like some one or more um, long COVID type uh, symptoms. They call it post-acute sequelae of COVID nineteen. Um, there's this great big uh, review paper in Frontiers about uh, post-acute sequelae of COVID nineteen that goes into insane detail describing every single aspect of this. Um, such as persistent microglial, microglial activation in the brain leading to brain fog uh, that's similar to chemo brain, uh, persistent T, T lymphocyte activation and exhaustion, um, and, as well as uh, multiple organ injury and so on, as well as persistence in the gut. Um, which is very, very concerning. A lot of some people who have who've had COVID nineteen continue to have um, what appear to be SARS CoV two um, RNA in their in their gut. So it it the virus may actually be persisting in the gut lining for a long period of time. This is one reason why I've been telling people, you know, that if you've had COVID nineteen, think about uh, like probiotics to try and restore your gut microbiome to to create an environment that's more hostile for the virus potentially. Um, 
this is something that people still to be discussing with with doctors um with doctors they can trust because yeah, yeah find a doctor you can trust uh, good luck with that yeah um, exactly so which is worse is... the vax or the virus so i, I look both are of concern in my but mind both are bad yeah this is this is the thing you know this is another thing that bothers me, especially in the in the in the dissenter movement. People have been have been drawn into this sort of false dichotomy where they start to think, oh, you know, the the vaccine is safe, the virus is dangerous. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. the The virus is perfectly fine. It's like the common cold. The vaccine will kill you. Mm. Um, actually, in reality, neither of them are good. Mm. Yeah, and, 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 and people have been people have been divided on this. It, they've been dragged into something where it's been p completely politicized to the to the point where it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, this is and and this thing is debilitating people, and the and the vaccine is debilitating people too. Yeah. And meanwhile, people are being led to believe led to believe you know you know it's the other side and their beliefs that are the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, it's ridiculous. It, it, this it, is. Binary thinking, binary thinking, yeah. and it's it's very problematic. And you know, just just to add on to what you were saying, we don't know the interactions between the combination of the gene transfection and the virus. Right? Exactly. This we, there could be an overlapping kind of ideology of disease there, where yeah. it could where one could make the other worse. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, so someone's saying you don't agree with JC's infectious clone theory. Um, um, doubtful. Um, I'm not too sure about that because it, it kind of contradicts a lot of what I've seen um, about, uh, you know, about um, about COVID-19 from, from various official sources. Mm, well, it's... it's much as we can trust those official sources as much as we as much as we can trust those official sources exactly mm. that's um that is that is another problem that's a it's a fair concern like how many of these papers that we're getting from from pubmed mm. are bullshit mm. uh if we can't even trust the the literature the body of evidence that has been published in, in covid-19 then we're already screwed it's uh. like so I'm just I'm just rattling for it because people are putting uh, the jumbo blood clots. Those are amyloidogenic occlusions. Those aren't those aren't blood clots, in my opinion. They're not even really. The, I mean, they're these giant rubbery white fibrous things that I mean that that, that don't seem to have any like blood cells in them. Mm. Like why why I you know what really pisses me off is you have these embalmers who are pulling these things out of other people's bodies apparently it's like okay fine you have the specimen right there in your hands why aren't people doing like congo red staining on them to see like like see if it has amyloids mm. it's like what what you have the specimen right in your hand yeah get some it's specimens like to me i'll, I'll do hand. it i'll do it for it's you like, Right. Why haven't these things been studied to mm. determine what their composition is? Yeah, and that's that's a thing that really bugs me. Is that yes, I, I, I'm I'm well, believing. I, I think that there's this phenomenon of this sudden adult death syndrome that we know that there's this excess death. Where are the autopsy reports? Exactly. Right. It's like nobody cares. It's like everyone's just turning a blind eye to it. Mm. Why? Why is that? Mm. That you you have you have the specimens that are right there, mm. and nobody's doing the work. 
Yeah, it's it's, it's incredibly shocking. frustrating, and it's it, shocking that 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 comes from the um, diktats from the very top, and you know you can make the argument that these were this is part of the push to normalize gene transfection as the go-to therapy and as we discussed yeah. in great detail this 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 technology is they're trialing it right now for what looks like these next well the next gen emerging um surveillance and um covert moral bio enhancement <laughs> Right. That's that's uh, that's where we're going. I'm gonna have to pull the ripcord, dude, because I gotta I gotta hit the bathroom. But um, it was it's always always a pleasure to have um, these discussions with you. I think I likewise think we, we streamed. I don't know five hours maybe. So far, yeah, about five hours, almost yes. four and a half. <laughs> um, it's um, it's always a pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's been great. I um, but there's just this stuff goes so deep. It's mm. like there's just I mean there isn't even hardly enough time in the day to cover every aspect of COVID nineteen no. pathology. Mm. It um, as well as and the vaccine, like <laughs> don't even get me started. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that they would they would approve something like this um, for for human usage with so little evidence for safety. It's it's um, it's like Moderna, for example. This is their first ever commercial product. Moderna had like DARPA funding for years and years under Adept Protect um, for to come up with like um, nucleic acids um, for um, to transfect cells with to produce monoclonal antibodies for chikungunya virus. Um, that was basically, this was a partnership with DARPA to come up with some kind of like some magical mystery biodefense juice in case some, some terrorist released a modified chikungunya strain or something that, or, or maybe a foreign, a rival foreign power, uh, engaging in a bioweapon attack or something. Now you have, um, nucleic acid vaccine that could be rapid deployed, that it produces antibodies instantly against it. It's, it's like... Or at least that's how they pitched it to DARPA. And this is their first actual commercial product, mRNA twelve seventy three for COVID nineteen. It's their hail mary. They they haven't had a. They've been doing research for for years and years with venture capital and with DARPA funding, but they hadn't actually produced a real product that entire time. Yeah. Yet in in that time frame. Um, it it had obviously been sold to the upper echelons because again I, I encourage everyone go watch the eighty thousand hours podcast with Andrew C Weber okay where he's he's bouncing off the ceiling in joy at the fact that he believes that these mRNA platforms have mitigated the uh, existential threat of bio warfare right yeah. and. They, they think, you know, that, that that they can just magically come up with a nucleic acid sequence for any conceivable bioweapon, mm. for even for something that like a terrorist or some basement biohacker comes up with, something like that. And really, because of the toxicity of these mRNA platforms and the toxicity of the lipodentoparticles and everything else, it's, like it's really questionable whether or not they've actually achieved any any of their goals at all. And it, it, um, it's all wrapped up in this concept of 
um, medical countermeasures for the battlefield, right? Moderna, that... yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they've been they've been working on that for a long time. That's like. Um, for instance, uh, Dietra and DARPA providing funding to like Todd Ryder for, for Draco, mm. uh, for the double stranded, uh, RNA activated, uh, caspase oligomerizer mm. that, um, and if you want, if you want to uh, deep dive into that, that look for the last stream I did with Spartacus, um, he, he, d yes. he does a great job, um, breaking down Dracos and, um, wow, how uh, a medical countermeasure that was, um, yeah, kept under wraps. <laughs> yes, it was. It's weird because they had this stuff uh, over a decade ago, and I've actually um, spoken with uh, with Dr. Ryder. I've actually emailed him before and oh, okay. and contacted him about some of this stuff, and it, he agreed that it was kind of weird that they that they had published results that show that that this worked in a mouse model, but it never ever went to human trials. Mm. So, I mean, Dr. Ryder was reduced to begging for money uh, yeah. on Indiegogo. I oh, know that <laughs> feels broke. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy. He, I mean, uh, talk about like a fall from grace. This is a guy who, who, um, whose work was in like popular science where people are saying, oh, it's it's uh, penicillin, but for viruses. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, the greatest discovery of the century, kind of thing. And then it all just kind of quietly went away. Yeah, that's that is. Very suspicious. Very, very especially, suspicious. Especially when you consider what everything else that DARPA and Dietra have been up to as of late. Yeah. Um, and uh, the thing about it is that Moderna were coming up with therapies for cancer. They were coming up with therapies for things like Krigler and Najar. You know, in theory, you could use um, mRNA vaccines. Well, not really vaccines, but like mRNA therapies, let's just say, um, to treat uh, like Tay-Sachs or phenylketonuria or something by replacing enzymes that people are missing or, or that people people have mutant and non-functional versions of, right? And look, but dude, so, look, I don't have a problem with that. G good. Yeah. Let, let, let them do it. But this... It sounds good on paper, but it was too toxic to actually use. That's what they, they determined years ago. Mm. So the vaccines are kind of a Hail Mary for them. They thought maybe we can we can come out with something where the we only have to dose it like once every several months and the body does most of the legwork and produces the antibodies, right? Mm. Mm. But yeah. even that was too toxic. Yeah. It's it's just it's shocking to me that you know that the, the military is pushing this shit. Mm. That the DOD are are pushing this on soldiers. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's just unbelievable. Well, I just... Pushing it is putting it, forcing it. Well, yeah, forcing <laughs> it. Forcing it at the at the at the threat of dishonorable discharge if you don't take it. That's um... it's shocking. Yeah, it's supposed to be illegal after what happened. The nightmare they had with the. Um... Oh, I forget which it was. It's the, it's the vax anthrax, anthrax, anthrax. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gulf War syndrome. Yeah. N now they want to give everyone Gulf War syndrome. Right. Wonderful. Yeah. So it's just you look at the history of these companies and what they 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 actually do. It's just shocking. Mm. It, I mean, uh, that they would they would mandate this for for small children, mm. for yeah. pregnant mothers. Mm. What the hell's wrong with these people? Yeah, let's like say all ethical frameworks have been burned to the ground, and you know you you have to ask ask yourself why. And I think we've done a fairly good 
crack in this stream again looking at what's potentially coming at us in the in the coming years to where they want to yeah. go and um we we stop complying now or it's game over it's game yeah. over your, your children your, your children's future is is done and you know <laughs> you know god bless people like Spartacus here that just doing the Thanks. the the grind to you know sort of tie all this stuff together and, you know it's, it's i like streams like this dude where i can just kick back and talk with someone where i don't sound like i'm not there i'm not the sole nutter right right <laughs> <laughs> well it's uh it's been a pleasure yeah all right dude I, i'll let you go um because i'm gonna spring a leak uh and uh yeah, dm me anytime bro and uh we should um keep this uh a regular um thing i know you're going to be tied up in the next few weeks what have you so i've kind of been busy with a, a bit of a move on my end so just box boxing stuff up so yeah. uh but uh i i will definitely try and, and find the time mm. um sometime within the next few weeks and and it's it's been a pleasure as always so yeah well um you look after yourself bro if we need you you too, man. <laughs> <laughs> you have a. Well, it must be late for you, so uh, you have a good evening. It's sir. about ten o'clock here. So, uh, hey, have a good one. All right, take care, bro. <laughs> all right, folks. The uh, indomitable Spartacus uh, again. Um, we owe him a deep debt of gratitude, and again, I would say uh, that's someone who just picked up and did the work okay and like he said a, a lot of this information is available out there it doesn't cost anything except an internet connection to download it and read it and you know there's there's many many people who are prepared to um spend the time and and talk and walk you through questions and um you know uh, I, I guess uh, support support your uh local friendly neighborhood neuroscientist and uh, rebel rebel instigator spartacus and uh with that i've got to dip out <laughs> i'm in pain right i'm out of here take care god bless see you in the next one thank you to those that uh sent the dono if you want to send and support the stream uh go to mccann dojo and um there we'll uh there you can keep the wheels rolling i'm trying to i'm trying to work up to do uh the rodent experiments and um we will uh i'll keep you up to date on the progress in that so i'm out of here take care god bless bro you don't know how angry i am you do i'm like i was just leaving for fucking work you do not understand how fucking pissed off after reading that little line i would be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine fuck these peppers I will fucking kill each fucking pepper, I swear! <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore! This is fucking dead serious! I am fucking dead serious! These people don't know who the fuck they're actually saying! Fuck these peppers! No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood, blood! Never! No! I will fucking die! Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage! Fuck these 
all that fun. I like this guy. Let off! 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 Let off!